South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. And it is a very, well, every morning's a good morning, but let me tell you what, if you haven't been outside yet, bundle up, put on those gloves, put on a hat, put on a heavy jacket, because that wind was biting, the temperature is low, and I hate to tell you, it's only going to get colder as we move through the week, and I'm sure we'll be talking about that a bit this morning and everything you should be doing, but uh, tell you what, I just hate to keep people waiting, and I know that AJ has already called in this morning, and we need to get his situation addressed quickly. Good morning, AJ. Good morning, Bobby. <laughs> I'm I'm cold. That's how I am this morning. Yeah, I'm going to be brief because my bride wants to ask you a question. Also, I got, I took some angel trumpet cuttings earlier this uh, fall, uh-huh. and I've got about eight or ten inch. Uh, they're they're grown that much. I've got them in pots, and I've got them in the garage right now. Is mm-hmm. it okay to just? the garage as long as they don't get close to 32 or should i do something else with them if you keep them above 32 they're going to be fine but i have to tell you as cold as they're saying well you're you're a little further south than me but as cold as they're forecasting later this week be sure you got a heater out in that garage back in 2021 uh, I know a lot of people put things in the garage and they froze anyway because it just got so blasted cold. And uh combination of wind, combination of temperatures, potentially well down into the teens. Just be sure you got a little milk house heater or something like that out there in the garage to keep them warm. But, yeah, and down to the point of frost, uh, your detures are going to be angel trumpets, bergmancias, whatever you want to call the different ones. Uh, they're going to be fine as long as they stay above freezing. All right, I was thinking if it gets real cold, I'll put them in a the house. i got a shower place for them. I'm going to let my Do uh, one. Just let me ask you, tell you one more thing first. Now, they are a toxic plant, so don't put them where any household pets or anything might be tempted to chew on them. The seeds are the most toxic thing, but uh, you wouldn't want your puppy dog or kitty cat to be consuming that foliage. So if you end up bringing them inside, put them up off the floor or somewhere where the animals can't get to them. Okay, we don't have any of those things around here. Okay, so well, very good. Well, turn me over to the to the lady of the house and let me see how I can help her. That's the bride, Bob. Okay, here she is. Hey, hey Bob. <laughs> good morning. AJ got birthday today. So. Well, happy birthday to AJ. If I didn't have such a horrible voice, I'd sing to him. Thank you, Bob. <laughs> now, I got a question. I've got about three Christmas cactus here and none of them are blooming what what do i what do i do what did (laughs) the christmas cactus is um sensitive to how long the days are it can actually tell you the difference in daytime and nighttime hours how many hours of darkness how many hours of daylight and christmas cacti are very much like poinsettias they set their buds and they bloom following a period of long nights and short days so if you had yours in a room where the light was on into the evening or if they were near some other source of light beyond the normal day length, they just thought it was still July, and they know they're not supposed to bloom until December when the days are much shorter. So um, even at this time, if you want to get them into bloom, 
what you could do is every afternoon about 4 o'clock, go stick them in the closet and don't bring them out until 8 o'clock the next morning. And if you'll do that for, oh, about a month or so, that will probably, you know, put buds on them and get them into bloom. Now, just don't be like AJ probably would and forget and leave them in the closet. So <laughs> you got to bring them back out and get them in the daylight every day. But uh other than that, if you want to just keep watering and, and feeding, they'll go on growing beautifully. But they've got to have that period of long nights and short days to get the flowers going. Okay. What do you feed them, just like any other plant? Uh... Yeah. It has to grow liquid uh, plant food, uh, the plant okay. formulation, or, uh, you know, liquid fish blend by Medina. Anything you would use on your other house plants is just fine on your Christmas cacti. I don't have any house plants. <laughs> everything. AJ got everything. <laughs> <laughs> well, like like he should be putting on those pots. And uh, keep in mind that they are not desert cacti. They are tropical cacti, so don't ever let them get bone dry. I mean, if you've had yours for a while and it's doing well, you know what you're doing. But when they are, when when that soil's good and dry on the surface, it's time to uh, uh, give them another thorough watering. Yes, I do. Well, that's, that's all. I, I just been, last week he was trying to call you, and I said, tell him. He said, no, you can talk to him. Okay. <laughs> That's my question for the day. Well, go, bur- go bake the birthday boy a cake for his birthday or something nice and uh, tell him we wish him many, many happy returns. Uh, okay, Bob. Y'all stay warm over there in San Antonio. Yes. Well, we'll do our very best. Thank you. And you all, too. Okay, okay. bye-bye. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Looks like we've got Heather next in line. Good morning, Heather. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I've heard you tell people how to take care of foot fungus if they have it on their feet. What right. would you recommend for cleaning an at-home foot spa, the little massager one, if someone who used it might have had foot fungus? If someone who used it had a little foot fungus, uh, I would just use either some... Uh, I would use hydrogen peroxide. Hydrogen peroxide is probably one of the best sterilizers out there. And there was a point when I would have told you just use alcohol, but uh, at one point uh, I had a little little uh, basal cell taken off my face, and my dermatologist said said I hardly use alcohol anymore. He said uh, uh, peroxide is so much easier on everything, and it's just effective a cleaner. So I just get you some good old three percent hydrogen peroxide at the grocery store and. Give the surface a good wipe down and uh, should be no issues whatsoever. Perfect. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And tell the person who has the fungus on their feet to learn about the benefits of cornmeal. You don't have to go to the doctor and get that drug that will screw up your liver. Um, There is, if you get whole ground cornmeal and moisten it, it will grow a beneficial fungus called trichoderma, which will wipe out toenail fungus and athlete's foot and just about everything else. And uh, I, you know, everybody gets a little touch of that if you work hard and have sweaty feet. But uh, I just used one of those aluminum loaf pans that you can get at uh, the grocery store to bake bread in. It's about the size of my foot. And uh, I'll put uh, enough enough cornmeal in there to cover my foot, moisten it just enough to make a slurry, not real watery. Soak your foot in it for about an hour a day for a week, take a week off, and then do it again. And It'll cure even the worst cases I've ever seen of toenail fungus and other foot 
fungal issues. And it's so funny around the nursery, I'll have uh, somebody will come in and they'll kind of motion me, want to get me over where other people can't hear them and say, now tell me again how you do that, that toenail fungus and it turns out they're the doctors that don't want to take their own medicine because they know how bad that is. So uh, your friend that may have the foot fungal problem, you don't have to go get anything toxic to take care of it. Just whole ground cornmeal will work. I have a niece who's been a doctor down in Mexico for quite a while, and she told me one time, she said, Uncle Bob, you talk like that's something new. She said, we've been doing that for generations in the colonias. So it's uh, been tested over many generations, and it does work. Awesome. I'll let her know. Thank you. You're certainly welcome. I appreciate the call this morning. You stay warm. Uh, You as well. Have a good one. (laughs) Thank you so much. Goodbye. All right. uh, Tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and uh, and do a break here. Uh, We do have some open phone lines. Uh, If you want to get in early, I'm sure it'll get busy as it gets a little later on. You know the number, 210-599-5555. I get to tell you about another, what I consider really remarkable product out there, and it's called Azomite. Uh, I say that it works like green sand on steroids. It's a micronutrient solution that I don't know, it just takes care of yellowing, but it makes certain that all your plants get all the micronutrients they need. It's loaded. In fact, first time I ever encountered uh, it, it was at a nurseryman's trade show. The gentleman who was talking about it had a big piece of poster board, single-spaced, and he listed like 90 different beneficial compounds and elements that you'll find in azomite. We've been using it for quite some time. It's the only thing I've ever found that will not only cure yellowing, but so many plants, if they have yellowed foliage due to mineral deficiencies, um, eventually they will turn green using other products. Most of the time, the yellow leaves drop off, and then the plant puts on new healthy leaves. With azomide, I've even seen it turn the yellow leaves back green again, so your plants get greener faster and stay healthier. It's absolutely non-toxic. can be used on anything from house plants to ground covers to bedding plants. We use it on periwinkles pretty frequently. It's a wonderful product. You can get it either as a powder that's fine enough to mix with water and spray or as a granule that you can just put on the soil. Look for it. Find nurseries wherever good products are sold. You will find azomite. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, those lines are all taken right now, so hang on a second before you call. We're going to talk to Omar and Tony and Gilbert and Deanna, and uh, we'll have one available shortly. Good morning, Omar. Good morning, Bob. How you doing? Uh, I'm cold. <laughs> I don't uh, yeah. mind telling you. I had, had a few outdoor things to do before I left the house at 6 o'clock this morning, and uh, it's just darn chilly out there. It is. I've, I've been, yeah, I've got out outside just a little after dark, uh, Picked the last of the heatless jalapenos and the, and I was I was slightly off on my calculation of tomatoes. I ended up with thirty five point three pounds of celebrity, mostly green, but yeah. a whole bunch of them. Well, you can use those and some of those uh, mild, mild jalapenos. Make some good chow chow or all sorts of good things. That uh, uh, man, you're you're a good tomato grower. If you've got you know thirty five pounds of tomatoes in January, you're you get a gold ribbon for that or a blue ribbon for that and a gold star. And they were just starting. You know, there's about six or seven of them that were that are about half red. You know, there another uh-huh. another week or two of, of some decent warm weather, and I bet a you know, we'd have a even better crop. Oh, they'll be outstanding. Yeah. 
Yeah, and the ones that are just starting to turn red, put them in a sunny window, and they'll ripen. They won't be yeah, quite as good as if they'd ripened on the vine, but they'll sure be better than anything you get at HEB. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, that's all I had. I just wanted to laugh at myself on the radio. <laughs> well, pat yourself <laughs> on the back and uh, keep up the good work, and I know we'll talk again. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. Yes, all sir. right. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, Tony's next. Good morning, Tony. Is Tony there? Hi, Tony. Sir. Hey, good, good, good morning. morning, Bob. Good morning, sir. How long have you been on the air? I think at last calculation, a little over 40 years. Okay, I, start, I know I've I started, been calling you for it. Go ahead. I started when I was three years old, of course, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think I think that's about how long it is. Uh, uh, I lose count after a while. When I run out of fingers to count on, things get a little more confusing. <laughs> I hear you. I've been calling you for at least twelve. So, oh, I, I appreciate, appreciate all that. Your advice. Well, it's my pleasure. How can I help today? I brought my bok choy in. They were in planters, and uh-huh. I noticed a lot of aphids. So I sprayed it with dish detergent. But uh, they're not looking so good a day later. I probably need to rinse those off, don't I? <laughs> I would think that they would be a lot tastier when you do. Now, um, on bok choy, things like that, many times just a strong stream of water, you can just knock them off the plants. And it's interesting, if the aphids on a plant, it's probably got its snout you know, buried down into the tissue. When you hit it with water... Uh, it kind of leaves a snout there, and it just blows the body away. So they're they're done for. That that will kill them. Um, beyond that, there's a special kind of soap called insecticidal soap. The most common one is made by Safers, um, and that is a very good aphid killer. But yeah, just give it just give it a good rinse. Uh, it doesn't leave any residue behind that will hurt you. But <clears throat> if you didn't if you didn't rinse it, it might be a little uh, off flavor, shall we say? <laughs> One last question. Yes, sir. I bought some inexpensive grow lights or plant lights, uh-huh. and I'm wondering what color to put them on. It seems like I have a choice between red, blue, and white. Blue. Blue All is, right. uh, we'll go for yeah, the, blue. the um, plants only use a very narrow wavelength of light. Uh, red light may have a little influence on flowering, but the only wavelength of light that activates the chlorophyll, which of course is how a plant absorbs the sun's energy and converts it into chemical energy, only wavelength of light that will do that is in the blue range. So, um, And you don't get that if you just have a bulb with a blue filter on it. You need to have a bulb that actually puts out that part of the spectrum. And uh, nowadays the LED uh, plant lights are a whole lot cheaper and last a whole lot longer than the old fluorescent ones do. So um, depending on what you've got, and I can't can't see it, of course, since we're on radio, not television. But um, uh, I would I would at some point invest in some just some LED grow lights, and they're not that expensive, and they really make a difference. Do remember that whatever kind of lights you have need to be close to the plants. The physicist will tell you that. Light diminishes by the inverse of the square. What that means in English is uh, at two feet you get a fourth as much light as one foot, at three feet a ninth as much, at four feet a sixteenth as much, and so on. So those lights have to be pretty close to the plants to uh, really benefit them. Right, well, that was good to know because 
I just have them as a canopy, so I yeah. need to get them down. Okay. Yes, sir. You need to either get the plants up or the lights down, <laughs> whichever way. Um, the one thing, too, again, depending on what kind of lights they are, uh, if they're old-fashioned incandescents, they can produce a lot of heat. So don't get them so close that they would burn things if they touch them. But uh, once again, when you go to the LEDs, they're a very cool bulb, and uh, you can practically have them sitting on top of the plants, and they'll benefit them a great deal. All right. Yeah, they're, they're the new LED style. So I'm going to rearrange things. Bob, thank you so much, and uh, have a wonderful day. And you do the same, sir. One other question that will probably occur to you is how long should you leave them on? If you have plants oh, yeah. that are day length sensitive, like my first caller uh, had, uh, then you just try to kind of match what the sun's doing. Uh, if you just have green plants, house plants, little vegetable transplants you're starting, uh, you can leave them on 24 hour days a day and the plants, uh, you know, will be very happy. I, uh, my my early plant career up in the Dallas area, we put uh, plants uh, in the home offices of Steak and Ale up there, which was I don't know may still be a big corporation. But they left their they worked rotating shifts, left the hours on tw- or plant the lights on twenty four hours a day, and the plants were growing faster in their offices than we could grow in our greenhouses. So uh, uh, don't hesitate to leave them on you know eighteen hours at least uh, if you want the maximum results. Okay, yeah, I've got a 12-hour timer, so that's why I was working. So yeah, well, that's that's fine. But if you wanna if you wanna speed things up a little bit, you won't hurt anything to have them on a little longer. All righty, Bob. Have a good one. You do the same, sir. Thank you. Uh, let's go ahead and squeeze Gilbert in here before we take a break. Good morning, Gilbert. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, just got a question uh, on the weeds. I have a St. Augustine uh, grass. Yes. And I already, uh, I had the summer weeds, and I got the winter greeds, weeds. Can uh-huh. I use that pre that pre-emergent on the St. Augustine grass? You can, but if the weeds are already growing, it won't do you any good at all. Pre-emergent means, uh, you know, it has to go on before the seeds sprout. Now, is your St. Augustine still green, or has it turned brown for the winter? No, it's still green. Okay, if it turns brown, and it may very well after this cold spell, then you can go out and just spray the whole area with a mixture of vinegar and orange oil, two ounces of orange oil to a gallon of strong vinegar, and it will kill all the weeds. And if your St. Augustine has turned brown, it won't won't hurt it at all. It only affects the leaves. It doesn't affect the runner. So uh, if your St. Augustine browns out or if anybody listening has Bermuda grass, it's already browned out. If you've got green weeds coming up, just get out there and spray it with vinegar-orange oil mix. You'll kill all the weeds without hurting your grass. Okay, but, but like I'm saying, like for, let's say for uh, uh, next, for the summer, if I use cream right now, would that take care of the weeds for the summer? I, the only pre-emergent that I really recommend is corn gluten meal. Uh, the other, even though they say it doesn't, it'll mess up the roots on your grass and especially mess up the roots on your shrubs. So I'm not into chemical pre-emergence. But uh, the other thing to recognize is that, uh, uh, well, a couple of things to remember is that uh, the pre-emergence, natural or synthetic, are broken down by soil bacteria. So you don't want to put them down too far in advance or they will have lost their efficacy before the weeds 
really have a chance to get started. The other thing is, if you really want a beautiful yard, rather than using any pre-emergent, put down about a half an inch, between a quarter and a half an inch of good compost. The compost has humic acids and things in it that act as a natural pre-emergent, and that will stop 99% of the weeds. Uh, in, in my case, I had a section of my front yard... Uh, I've got a little tiny front yard and then about an acre that's searproof and then a few hundred acres around that. But in my bigger yard, we had an area that's probably 25, 30 feet wide and maybe 40 feet long uh, that we used for croquet court. And the sticker burrs were so bad in there, even the dogs wouldn't walk into it. I put on late fall, early spring, I put on about half an inch of good compost. And, you know, the next year, I'll bet you I pull three burrs the entire season. So it's probably the best natural pre-emergent, and it, it does so many other things. So if you're not trying to do 10 acres, think about just getting uh, enough compost, good compost to spread between a quarter and half an inch over the area, and you don't have to worry about anything beyond that. All the other good things in the compost are going to give you the greenest, best uh, lawn you've ever had. Yes. Uh, well, like at uh, the box stores, I'm afraid to get those compost bags because I'm afraid to get bring in more weeds. So how about no. the black cow? Did black cows? Uh, black cow. Black time? cow is an okay compost. Um, it, it's not super high quality, but uh, it's not bad. Do you have a truck or trailer? Uh, no. Are you or access to one? Okay. I, guess I was going to if if you've got a friend that'll, you know, <laughs> do you a favor, uh, you can go somewhere to like to uh, site one or one of the uh, good places around uh, Landscape Solutions out on the west side of town. Uh, and you can actually buy it by the cubic yard, and it costs about a third as much as it will if you're buying it by the bags. But uh, you either need a trailer or a truck to haul it. If you pay them to deliver it, that runs the price way up. But uh, if you're going to need very much of it, see if you can find a friend and tell him, you know, hey, I'll buy you half a yard of compost if we can use your truck to get enough for both of us. And uh, that would be the best thing you could possibly do for that St. Augustine grass. All right. Okay, Bob, thank you. You're welcome, Gilbert. Thank you for the call this morning. Deanna, hold on just a second. Time for us to get a little break in here, and I get to talk about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And people say, well, why do you talk about roofs on a garden show? Well, let me tell you, there are plenty of people sitting out there worrying about their roofs right now because you've, you've still got an old shingle roof, and we get down in the low teens and especially get a little bit of moisture. That weather can be real hard on your roof. Now, if you're like me and have a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof on your home, I don't even think about it. My roof will stand up to the worst of the cold, the worst of the heat. Uh, our uh, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof here at the nursery set up to baseball-sized hail with barely a dimple. Big windstorms, no problem. Southwest Metal Roofing Systems does it right. It's the last roof you'll ever put on your home. And if you're building a new home, just tell your builder you want Southwest Metal Roofing Systems to put the roof on. That's what we did with our new groundwater district office up in Bernie, and we'll never have to worry about that roof. They simply put on the best roof out there, lifetime quality. You've got a choice of looks, too. If you don't like the look of standing seam metal, there are roofs. They can do a metal roof that looks like slate or shake shingles or oh, ceramic tile, a lot of different things, lots of different colors to choose from as well. Why don't you learn more by giving them a call? And, yes, by the way, you'll save money on your energy bill on a day like this because that roof is so energy efficient. Give them a call to learn more, 210-822-6868. 
210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Phone line's full once again, though, so hang on just a second before you dial. Uh, we're going to talk to Deanna and then to Margaret and Clint and uh, Carol right now. Good morning, Deanna. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Cold. <laughs> but other than that, it's, uh, it's January. You know, we just have to put up with a little of this every now and then. But uh, I don't know about you. We've sure been moving plants around and checking heaters and... Uh, getting ready for what's going to be a pretty chilly week, it looks like. Yes, sir. Well, um, I've listened to you for years, and I've learned so much. Things I didn't even need at the time, but later on <laughs> I found I did. But I do have a question um, that I don't believe I've ever heard answered. Um, I live in Spring Branch, so I, I live at the base of Hill Country, as you know. Uh-huh. And I have a 30-inch, about a 30-inch pot, plastic huge pot. Uh-huh. That I would like to plant maybe a small tree or something in. That, okay. What do you think I could plant in there that would like maybe just appear as a tree or something? What do you think? There are a lot of beautiful things you could plant in there that would do uh, uh, that would do just fine. Obviously, this is not something you're going to move around, so you'd want something that's no. going to be pretty cold hardy. Um, if you like mountain laurels, they would grow in a pot like that. One of my favorite plants is called um, uh, Yopon holly, standard Yopon holly. If you want something that's one of the most unusually beautiful plants you will ever see, there's something called a weeping Yopon. It has beautiful red berries in the winter, and it just every one of them is just a sculpture in the unusual form that they grow in if you just want a big shrub right like plant to get pride of houston yopon holly that would be beautiful in a pot um especially if you enjoy cajun cooking and things like that you could grow a bay laurel now if it's going to get down 15 degrees you probably would would have to cover your bay laurel but uh uh they they come through most anything uh, if you preferred something that would flower, you could grow one of the mid-sized, 10 up to 10 foot tall crepe myrtles would be fine in that great big pot. Um, there are lots of different choices. <laughs> I can go, okay. I can go on and on with more of them. There are tropical things that you can plant that would freeze down and come back up, like Esperanza, uh, Pride of Barbados. Um, uh, with a pot that size, you've got lots and lots of different options. Uh, is this a clay pot, or what kind of pot is it? It's plastic. Okay. Uh, if it doesn't have but one hole in the bottom, uh, plastic is really easy to drill. Uh, it, but I, I don't like big pots with just one hole in the bottom, because sometimes that gets plugged up. And then the plants don't do well because the soil doesn't drain. So first thing I do with a big pot like that or a molasses tub or whatever you're growing in uh, is just take your simple drill and, you know, drill several more holes uh, so you can be certain that you'll always have good drainage. But uh, uh, there's I've just scratched the surface, bless you, of uh, all the different Thank things you. that you can grow in a pot like that. Okay. I appreciate you so much, Bob. I love your show. Well, I appreciate you calling me this morning. You get out and stay warm. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, you too. Bye. Thank you. Bye. All right, Margaret's up next. Good morning, Margaret. I need a 
a little coaching. Good morning. I need a little coaching on the freeze miser. I dropped uh-huh. it off at a friend's house, and they're not sure what they did with the directions, even okay. though they're on it. But um, do you screw it on and then turn on the water? And how much uh, water stream do you do you use there? Turn it on full blast. Uh, be very careful in screwing it on because those are a like a nylon thread, and if you get it cross wise and and force it you can mess up the threads which pretty much ruins it so just be careful in screwing it on but just screw it on tight turn the water on full blast and absolutely nothing happens but if and this is based and this is one thing i have to repeat all the time is it the working the operation of the freeze miser doesn't depend on the air temperature it depends on the temperature of the water and if the temperature of the water starts dropping down to where it could potentially freeze and break then the freeze miser starts to drip the colder it gets the more it drips it will drip just enough to keep the pipe above freezing so that it doesn't break and uh, then as it warms up it totally stops dripping um, I, yesterday, you know, we use them here on our hydrants at the nursery, all the ones we took off last spring. I wanted to test them and be sure they were still functional. The way you can do that is stick it in the freezer for an hour or so, then put it on the hydrant, turn it on, and you'll see a huge stream of water comes gushing out. But after about three to four minutes, all that just, it shuts down to where there's nothing comes out when it warms up. It's all based on a, on a chemical inside, a waxy material. It doesn't use wires or batteries or anything else. There's nothing to burn out or blow out or, you know, cause any problems. But you simply put it on the hydrant, turn the water on full blast, and forget about it. It'll take care of your hydrant. That's wonderful. And I, I'm, I'm not sure if I remember she said that one of those, um, one of those faucets had a dual uh, do you use two on that one? or No, or no, just, uh, you know, you should have, if you've got a Y connector on there, uh, it should have individual cutoffs for the two different sides. Uh, just oh, put yeah. the freeze miser on one and turn it on and cut the other off. That's kind of what we, we do if somebody has a hose that they use frequently and don't want to have to be taking the freeze miser on and off. You simply put a Y connector on there, put the hose on one side and the freeze miser on the other, Leave the freeze miser turned on, and then just turn the hose on and off if you need it. Um, one thing that we have and that I know a lot of friends have is uh, like a big uh, cattle water tank and uh, float valve on it, and we do the same thing. The float valve is on one side of the Y connector, freeze miser's on the other side, and that way your, your tank stays filled properly, but your freeze miser protects it from freezing and breaking. And the nice thing about that situation is that any water that the freeze miser releases to protect the hydrant, that water goes into the trough so you're not wasting it. So, uh, yeah, there are many different ways, and... You no, know, if uh, you can always go to freezemiser dot com and you can see exactly how it works. Oh, and, yes. Uh, yes. The other thing, and, uh, and, and these these things were invented by a couple of really smart guys that live over in the Seguin Stockdale area. So it's it's a homegrown product, so to speak, developed right here in our area. And I always feel like a product's always going to work best where it was developed. But they're using these things all over the country now. And and kudos to the ladies. It shades of green. They helped me get everything, including the insulate, um, <laughs> last week. Very and good. Right after last week's show, I headed over there, 
and uh, yeah, they were very, very helpful. And, well, uh, thank you. Thank we've you. Got- We've got so some wonderful people home. around here, and uh, uh, we're, as a matter of fact, we're getting a new shipment of freeze misers this morning. I think people got the uh, got the word. The hardware store around the corner sold out, and everybody else sold out, but they are still available. So anybody looking to protect things this week, uh, get your freeze misers. And you can always go online. You can always go online to freezemiser.com and uh, see exactly how they work uh, if you lose those instructions. But it's it's certainly not rocket science. It's pretty easy. I'll tell you one thing. I, I visited with uh, uh, Jeff, one of the inventors, earlier this week because where I live in the hill country, we, of course, have very hard water, lots of calcium in the water and some iron, too. And he was saying if after a year or two you start getting a little calcium buildup, it's always going to be on the top end, the part that screws onto the hydrant. He said just take a little plant saucer or, or pie pan or something like that put about an inch of strong vinegar in there set your freeze miser down in there leave it for a few hours then put the freeze miser in the freezer then and let it stay for an hour or two then put it on the hose or on the hydrant turn the water on you'll have a really strong blast of water coming out just like you do if you're testing them uh, and that will blow out all the stuff that's dissolved the calcium and iron and things like that and then it will shut down and go right on working and uh, there's no reason these things can't work indefinitely there's nothing to wear out or burn out or go bad in them just take care of them and they'll be with you for many years Oh, that is good to know as well. Thank you for all you do. The lady that said she listened faithfully for years and years, I do too, because you know you're going to need to know about that Christmas practice <laughs> at one time. You may not have one right now, but well, and and fortunately, well, it's it's my pleasure always. And uh, the fun thing about it is that uh, you know some people just are afraid to call, which is pretty silly in my opinion. But when you ask a question like that, you're benefiting you know maybe twenty thousand other people out there who want an answer to that same question. So I really appreciate your calls as well. And you get out and stay warm <laughs> for this you. week. Thank you. Thank you. My so pleasure. Much, Bob. You're welcome. <laughs> Goodbye. All right. Let's see, Greg. I believe we're up to Clint. Is that correct? All right. Uh, th- well, on second thought, Clint, hang on just a second because we're right up to the point. I need to take a quick break. Clint and Clara, Carol, you'll be my next two callers. Right now, though, guess what I get to talk about? <laughs> the freeze miser. I practically just did an ad for them, but. Uh, uh, once again, if you're not familiar with them, they're kind of like a little torpedo. They're about three, four inches long, maybe an inch in diameter or so, and they're just absolutely magic. There are no batteries, no wires, nothing to burn out or, or go bad on you, but there's a very, very special material inside, and the freeze miser, you put it on your hydrant or your water trough or wherever you need to protect, and it very accurately measures the temperature of the water in that hydrant. When the water temperature doesn't have anything to do with air temperature, when the water temperature drops to the point that your day your faucet would be in danger of freezing or breaking, well, it automatically starts dripping. It drips just enough to keep your faucet safe, and when it warms up, they stop dripping. Put them on in the fall, forget about it, take them off in the spring, and know that your hydrants are protected. Um, the one place that I will tell you to use them with caution, if you live in a really cold area and we have a prolonged cold spell, they can drip out a lot of water. So if you're on a rainwater system or something like that, um, you, uh, you can decide um, 
you know what to do. There are other ways to protect the hydrants. None of them as easy as the freeze miser, and certainly I don't think any of them as effective. But if you have a very limited water supply, keep in mind that you they will use some water when it gets really, really cold. They're available at fine hardware stores, nurseries, places like that all around. Um, and once again, take a look at exactly how they work on freezemiser.com. You can order them there, but if you need them today, you better just get down to a good nursery or hardware store and stock up on what you need. Like I say, put them on once in the fall. Your pipes are protected all winter. Take them off next spring, and they'll be good for next year. The Freeze Miser. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's going to be Clint and Carol and George and John. Clint is first in line. Good morning, Clint. Good morning. How you doing? <laughs> I'm just darn cold this morning. I got out very early, had some things to do, and I still have warmed up. I'm I'm ready for this uh, cold spell to get over with and get back to Texas weather. I hear that. I'll tell you what. That freezing weather needs to stay way north of me. <laughs> yeah. What's going on today? I was listening yesterday. You talked. About, I was talking about the insulate and how it works better than just a plain old blanket. How does that yeah. work in, in, compared to blankets? What's going on? I would think a thicker blanket would be better, keeping the cold from penetrating and stuff. How, what, what am I missing? Well, um, it's it's a it's two things. It's not just the cold. Um, it's that with the insulate fabric, it lets light through. Um, and yet helps keep the cold out. What insulates is air. It's not, you know, all, it's not about any kind of special material or anything else. Uh, the thing that keeps me warm in a sleeping bag is that down, which just traps so much air. Um, basically, anything that, that collects and holds air, even old bubble wrap, is pretty good insulation. But uh, it's something about the weave, it's something about the material that they use, that even though that's a thin fabric, it just it, it, it traps the air, the air stays warmer, and that keeps the plant underneath it warmer. Um, and I don't really know what the difference is. I know there's some colored ones out there. Some of them that are a little bit fuzzier, more like blankets. They don't worth it or work worth a darn. The plants just seem to freeze, just like they didn't have anything on. But uh, the the insulate just is. Uh, there's some good technology there, and it does allow enough light through. That if you have like something that's sort of half-hearty that you would be putting the insulate on and off regularly, you can actually just wrap it up and leave the insulate on all winter, and the plant will get plenty of light to photosynthesize and stay healthy. Okay, I've been wanting to try it. I just lately I've still been using the blankets with a light bulb underneath to keep things warm, and yeah, that worked great until the power went out a couple of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of us had little little problems. Uh, thank God for backup propane heaters when CPS let us down. But uh, uh, and you know we're the same way right now. We're checking uh, all the all the regular gas heaters to be sure they're working. But we got those uh, propane heaters sitting out there ready to light if uh, if we do have an outage. But uh, I don't know. It's I guess we have to have a little bit of weather like this. But. I wish you'd go back to just being once every 20 or 30 years instead of seeing like, seeming like there's at least a week of bad stuff every year. But, you know, it's just, this is Texas. Expect anything and, uh, we'll get through it. Must be part of global warming. 
<laughs> Somebody sent me an email the other day. He said, send me all the written information you have on global warming. I need to burn it in the fireplace to keep warm. Keep warm. There you go. Now, on the y'all were talking about compost, and um, I'm kind of like the one fellow trying to figure out what to get. Like I said, that nature's creation, uh, as big as wood chunks as I got, I wasn't very happy with it. I don't mind yep. them using it, but I thought it had been ground up finer and actually finished out better. I, and I'm working on them to get them to do that, and they're supposedly they're working at doing that. And, uh, you know, it's, it's still a good product, and uh, I believe me, if there was anything better i can find i'd be the first to tell you about it and uh there are some good cotton burr products the mushroom compost i don't think is as good uh but there are some alternatives out there but i you know um again we put out uh what eight bags of it earlier this week on things around and it just every now and then you get a bad bag but i have to say at least seven out of the eight bags uh there was very little really large material in there so maybe they're doing better with it well, I must have gotten number seven that time. Who, who, has, <laughs> yeah. who, who has the cotton burr material? Uh, you could just call around. I suspect Fanix probably has it. That's one of those feed store things. Uh, you're probably going to find, uh, uh, oh, what's the name I'm trying to say? Morales Feed probably has that, you know, down south of town. But I'd, I'd just get on the phone before you, before you start uh, heading out in your truck. Oh, most definitely. Now, you said the uh, the mushroom compost can have a lot of salt in it? It can because they use salt to sterilize the bins where they grow the mushrooms between crops. Generally, you can look at the compost, and you'll see a little bit of a white crust uh, if it's overdone on salt, but uh, not a regular, you know, some not a regular occurrence, but it's one thing that does happen periodically. There's no perfect material out there. You know, every now and then the cotton burr compost has a little bit of defoliant chemical left in it. Every now and then the uh, uh, the forest floor-based material has a little bit too much chunky material in it. And every now and then, they're, they're just, they're, unfortunately, we don't live in a perfect world, but we adapt and deal with it. Now, the place out 90 towards Houston was up with New Earth, didn't you say yeah. they changed hands? But at one time, they had a really good manure base, didn't they? Uh, they did, and so far as I know, uh, they probably still do, but they're making an awful lot of biosolids compost, and I do not like biosolids because of all the hormones and potentially synthetic chemicals and things like that that are in there. Saws pays people to take away their biosolids, and uh, New Earth and Gardenville are both companies that... Uh, uh, you know, they're making money off of buying the material they use to put into the compost. So uh, if you deal with either one of those people, tell them you do not want biosolids compost. You want a plant-based compost. I was thinking probably just wind up buying another truckload. What, once you get a, the access, what's the best way to uh, store that access? Well, it would be better to keep it in the shade if you can. But uh, it's it's going to continue to decompose. It's going to continue to break down. I fussed at Malcolm Beck one time years ago because I didn't think his compost was well enough finished. He was selling it, you know, before it had finished breaking down. And he said, 
Bob, I have to. He said it will diminish in volume. It'll be down to half the volume if I keep it until it's really finished. He said, and then I'd have to charge twice as much for it. Nobody would buy it. So um, just keep it in the shade. Expect that it will get a little smaller. But as it does, it kind of concentrates the microbes and the nutrients in there. So, you know, any any place that's in a shady spot, uh, it's just a fine place. And if it happened to be a few tree roots or whatever underneath it, they'll love it even more. Okay, good deal. Huh? Appreciate the info. Always a pleasure. Appreciate the call, Clint. Stay warm, and we'll talk again. And uh, let's uh, tell you what. Let's let's start with Carol. Carol, if we run short on time, we'll hold you through the news break and talk a little bit more. Good morning. Okay. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Hey, I have a well-established bed of low-growing lantanas, the yellow. Uh-huh. They're up against a brick wall. I haven't really been a good plant parent. I didn't cover them, and I'm wondering... Should I cover them for the next couple of mornings? I'd cover them up with uh, compost. I'd just bury them three inches deep in compost because the kind of forecast we're looking at, it may get so cold that even covering wouldn't keep them from freezing back. And as long as you protect uh, the base of the stem, they will always come back out again. So I, if they were mine, and uh, we were doing this with some purple lantana just a couple of days ago, and we just buried it about two inches deep in compost, knowing that the top will freeze, but knowing also that it will come back next spring because we've protected the base of the plant. Okay, well, fortunately, I do have compost, but I didn't cut the lantanas back this year, so I could still just push you that can, compost in. How, how sure. deep did you say against the roots? Uh, maybe two inches. And, inches, it, and then you can either then cut cover it, them. Yeah. Well, no, I wouldn't worry about covering them. I just plan on letting really? the top freeze. But if you want to, you okay. can cut them back and put the compost on then, or you can just put the compost on, let them freeze, and cut them back afterwards. Uh, uh, we did most of ours. We went ahead and cut them back and then put the compost on top because we knew the tops were going to freeze anyway. Okay. No, I don't want to spend that much time outside cutting and then putting compost <laughs> <out>. <laughs> I will be the one who's freezing. Um, I know. Okay. Let me tell you this. Hang on. Let me let me get Greg to put you back on hold because we're getting right up against the news break, but we'll talk a little bit more after news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. I don't dial right this second, though, because every line's taken. I knew it would be like this today because so many things to talk about with the weather and everything else. We're going to visit a little bit more with Carol. Then it'll be George and John and Elisa. Carol, let's get on to that next question. Okay, well, back to my first question. I just stuck my head out the door. It's 34 degrees and nice breeze here in shirts. I don't think I'm going to get out there and do that compost thing today on the lantanas. <laughs> They'll be lucky if I even cover them with a blanket. I know you don't like blankets. I have insulate on my to-do list. So Mm -hmm. I think they'll be okay for a couple of mornings if I just cover them with whatever I can find. Blankets. If you you don't get it done today, try to get it done tomorrow because tomorrow night is when the really severe stuff starts. Um, Mm -hmm. If it's 34 right now, have they been watered in the past 48 hours? No, no. Well, if you if you can, that is extremely important to help uh, perennials and other things. Now, once the temperature drops below freezing, you have to shut the water off. But if there's a way that you can get some water to them this afternoon, uh, they'll be a whole lot 
better chance of surviving uh, today's cold. It's going to be chilly tonight, no question about it. But uh, we're looking at uh, Monday night, Tuesday night. Those are the really bad nights. So uh, do what you can to get them protected. But at the very least, try to get them watered today, even if it just means turning on the hose and laying it out in the bed and letting it run for a few minutes. Okay. And uh, my other question is, I've learned about using coffee grounds when planting, mm-hmm. and I know I think that's what you like to do, but my question is, when I plant my cherry tomatoes, usually I would put a handful of, I think, rock phosphate in the hole, as recommended, right? Right. right. Mm-hmm. So now um, what do I do? Do I do rock phosphate or do I do coffee grounds in the hole? I would do both, and I, but I wouldn't put your coffee grounds in the hole. I would put them on top of the soil. The rock phosphate okay. has to be a layer that the plants can grow their roots through. And uh, mm-hmm. the coffee grounds, you're just you're getting a little bit of acidity. You're getting some beneficial fungi. Uh, one thing that we've learned relatively recently is don't overdo it on the coffee grounds because uh, they... The, the caffeine in there is a natural growth retardant. If maybe you don't want your cherry tomatoes to get eight feet tall, maybe use some extra coffee grounds. So too much coffee grounds is too much of a good thing, and it can stunt the plants a little bit. But a moderate amount of them will help with all the beneficial fungi they grow and uh, the other good things that are in there. So don't overdo it on the coffee grounds and keep them on the surface. Go right on doing what mm-hmm. you're doing, putting that layer of rock phosphate underneath uh, the roots as you plant. Okay, and I just checked my bag of, of rock phosphate, and it has it's hard. Is that normal? If it gets a little moisture to it, it is. Um, mm, if okay. you can, you know, break it up or <laughs> safely, you know, cut it into slices or whatever you can do, it's still going to be good when it gets the moisture from watering the plants and all the plants will still be able to grow their roots down through it but um keep it stored somewhere cool and dry and it'll it'll normally keep for several years if it's out in the open it does tend to absorb some moisture and uh um if if nothing else try to break it into chunks and just put Mm -hmm. two or three chunks there your tomatoes the, the roots will find their way you know, through and into the little cubes of rock phosphate, and you'll still get the benefit. Just be a little bit harder for Carol to do the planting. Okay. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate all your all your information. Take care. Uh, well, do your best to get out there and get those lantana taken care of. Or no, on second thought, forget about them and come see us and buy some more next spring. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Ah, uh, George is up next. Good morning, George. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Oh, just sitting here having a good time. I'm very glad that I'm broadcasting inside. Uh, Over the years, I've done a a few remote broadcasts, usually for the herb market in the fall when we had this kind of weather move in. And let me tell you, I was sitting here with the headphones on. I can only move about three feet away from my little broadcast unit. And that means sitting still, and that means getting cold. So I'm real glad I'm inside today. I'll certainly admit that. And I don't know about you, but as I get older, I feel like I feel the cold a whole lot more than I used to. And the heat in the summer, but we, well, we'll just say we're getting older. We're not going to admit that we're getting old. <laughs> it's a, That's a state of mind, and I hope we can always avoid that. Right. Well, sure. Well, I'll tell you what. I've got 1,200 feet of fence yard for my dogs. Uh, I know I could plant ryegrass 
Uh, but I still have a certain amount of dirt cracked in. I was wondering if uh, if I put down sod, I know it wouldn't be growing during the during the winter, mm-hmm. uh, and I put, wouldn't put it down until after this real severe cold spell we got it got in. But uh-huh. I was wondering uh, what kind of sod I might put down. Is your is your dog run uh, Bermuda? Is it sunny? I guess most important thing is how sunny is this uh, area. It's just, uh, just it's sunny for the most part, and mostly just weeds in it. Okay. Well, the the toughest grass that you could plant would be one of the tiff. T-I-F-F, Tiff Bermudas. That's what they put on golf greens. That's what they put on driving ranges. That That is the grass that will stand up to foot traffic better than anything else, whether it's uh, canine foot traffic or human foot traffic. But it does have to have uh, plenty of sun to do well. And um, how you know how big are your dogs? How many and how large? Oh, there's three of them. And, uh, oh, I imagine they're... They're around fifty pounds a piece. Yeah, that's you know that that's a lot of uh, wear and tear on grass. Um, sure. I, I one thing that you could consider, uh, and you said you had about twelve hundred square feet. Yeah. If if there's any way, uh, you know, in in the cattle business or any kind of livestock, we talk about rotational grazing, where right, we sure. move the animals around, let them wear one area down or eat one area down, and then take them off of that, let it regrow while they're on another area. If you want to keep your grass the prettiest way you possibly could, if you could divide that 1,200 square feet in half and just alternate, let them... You know, let them enjoy uh, one section for thirty days, and then move them over and let them enjoy the other right, section sure. for thirty days. That's that sure. is going to be the best way that you could have you know natural, pretty, healthy grass. Now, I never thought I would be saying this, but I'm seeing places where I think sometimes it's worth considering artificial grass. I uh, have a friend up in Bernie, and uh, she has big dogs, and said the only problem she has a real problem is where the dogs were charging down the steps and then they hit the grass, said that area just stays a mud pit all the time. The rest of the yard's pretty good, but that one spot, and, you know, I told her that uh, she might look, even, (laughs) I don't think he would mind my saving anything this, even Dr. Kirby has some uh, artificial grass in his yard, and it is the most realistic thing I've ever seen. It is has really been improved over the years. And uh, uh, as, as a matter of fact, I was getting the name of the people he got his from to give to my friend up in Bernie. And he repeated about three times. He said, no, it's expensive. No, it's expensive. It's expensive. So uh, it's, it's a decision that you would consider how bad a problem the mud is. With 1,200 square right. feet, 30 by 40 roughly, I think if you could... Do what we would do with cattle. If you could, you know, divide it in half and just kind of let half of it regrow a bit while the dogs wear down the other half, that's probably going to be the way that you can keep the best grass possible. And once again, one of the TIF Bermudas, if you have sunshine, that's going to be the toughest grass you could plant. Now, 
I'd wait till a little closer to spring. Bermuda's not going to start growing till the soil warms up, and it's sure not going to do any warming up for a little while now. But uh, that would be my choice when you do put new grass down. I and much as I love the winter rye, three big dogs like that, they're going to tear the heck out of it. I. Um, if you want to put down some mulch, you get a load of mulch and put down, and that's going to cut down on uh, the mud that gets tracked into the house. But uh, unfortunately, there's no way you're going to have instant lawn. Sure. Okay, Bob. Well, thank you for your time and your information. Well, it's always a pleasure, George. And you stay warm and keep those puppy dogs warm, and be sure they got plenty of liquid water all all winter long. So uh, let's get a break in here, and uh, then John is going to be next. But uh, – Looks like I get to talk to you about Medina agriculture, and let me tell you what, if uh, if you're trying to keep your grass healthy or anything else healthy, you'll do it better with products from Medina. Medina makes uh, great fertilizers that can be put out today. So many synthetic products, you got can't put them out if it's too wet, can't put them out if it's too dry, can't put them out if it's too hot or too cold. Not with Medina. Medina products are natural. They work with nature, and today's fine day to put out growing green fertilizer. As long as temperature stays above freezing, you can put out some of their fine liquid products as well. And, of course, houseplants, well, I alternate on my orchid collection. I alternate between uh, the has-to-grow plant and their new liquid fish blend, and the results are just outstanding. And that would work the same for Dracenas or Chinese Evergreen, Chef Lira's, whatever you happen to be growing for houseplants. Do the same. Rotate those two wonderful products and you will have prettiest houseplants you've ever seen. Medina also makes their packages the best orange oil in the business. They don't make it, but they search the world over and find the best price and the best quality. They package a wonderful molasses along with uh, liquid fish, liquid seaweed. Medina just makes a complete line of products and that's not even touching all the things they do specifically for agriculture nor mentioning all the great microbial activators and uh, Oh, golly, the liquid humate products, dry humates. Medina makes a lot of great stuff. If you want to see the full list, go to medinaag.com. You want to actually see the products, go to a good nursery or feed store or garden supply store. That's where you're going to find quality products from our friends at Medina. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and uh, I know we've got John and Elisa waiting to talk. Uh, Greg will send me if we have uh, more people call in. She might try right now. We may have a couple of open phone lines. It's been a <laughs> – they filled up pretty quickly, but dial that number, 210-599-5555 if you'd like. And I say good morning, John. Good morning, Bob. Morning, I sir. Was sta- I was stationed in Alaska for two years in the Army, and uh, it – Fairbanks, and it got to 68 below, but I was colder at Fort Polk in 30 degrees, uh, <laughs> freezing rain. Yep. It's it, it just that moisture just is, is terrible. But I oh, I know. I've, I've stood in shirt sleeves on a frozen lake in Wyoming when it was 5 degrees ice fishing and uh, felt very comfortable and coldest i think i've ever been i was on a field trip over spring break one time down at the coast and man we practically froze to death at 40 degrees down there so yeah that that moisture and the wind my my friend up in wyoming where he sees 50 below with some regularity he said we can handle the cold but we don't like the w word <laughs> and so yeah. but on the other hand one of our managers here at shades of green uh, grew up in wisconsin and she said oh there's no such thing as bad weather only bad wardrobe <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, so. there's all ways to to deal with it. I had three quick questions on. Uh, yes, sir. Plant, Let's okay. Plant product and process. Okay. The the plant was um, Sinesis Purple Sage. I bought uh-huh. a, a what eight ten inch pot and put it in the ground, and it just loses its leaves. Is that natural? It means that it doesn't have a real well-established root system. Uh, Sinisa, that's the Spanish word for ashes, is where that name comes from properly. Botanically, it's something called leucophyllum. But uh, they, when you, they are first planted, they need very regular watering, just like any other shrub that would go into the landscape. When they are established, they're very, very drought tolerant. But when someone that's having, you know, is, is losing leaves during the growing season, and, and even even in the winter months, it tells me the roots are not as well developed as they should be. I'd probably increase my fertilizing winter and summer. I would be sure that I'm watering deeply when I'm watering. And uh, you should get to the point that that plant is very thick with foliage, um, you know, year-round and very thick with blooms So uh, when the weather's appropriate. There's lots of argument, and I'm not sure. Some people say they bloom before a rain. I've seen that they bloom more after a rain, but uh, if they're not holding their foliage, uh, you need to do something to boost that root system. Well, i got a, a bucket with a hole in the bottom, and it's got compost in it, and I've mm-hmm. uh, plant, uh, set it next to the plant, so it's getting compost tea. Well, that, that alone is not enough nutrients. You know, supplement that with some good dry organic fertilizer or even some good liquid organic fertilizer. Compost tea provides a great deal of microbial life and a small amount of nutrient, but um, you're, to really get established, your sinisa needs a little more than that. Okay. Now, the, the product was the Freeze Meister. Meister. Uh-huh, M-I-S-E-R. Freeze Meister. Meister. Boy, is that a, a work saver, and I really like the uh, <laughs> putting the Y on the uh, uh, water trough. Yeah, yeah. That's a great idea, work saver. Oh, I can and, tell you. it's. Uh, I've used them. Uh, we were one of the first people that, uh, that tried them out, and I've just been sold on them ever since. Just a neat product. And the nicest guys, uh, the fellas that invented it, distributed them, uh, they're just incredible people. I, it's it's for me. It's just wonderful to see good people do well, and uh, just know you're buying from a good company. Same way I feel about Medina Ag and some of the other people that I speak for. It's just it's nice to have good people doing it right, and that's the way it is with the Freeze Meister folks. Jeff and David are both wonderful guys. Now the process is uh, with the compost on the yard. Mm-hmm. I had a, a gooseneck trailer come in and dump mushroom compost and i put it in i shoveled it into a a 10 cubic foot wheelbar and went and dumped a little out and then spread it with a rake and Mm -hmm. you know uh is there any drop spreader that can handle compost every there has been everything tried in the world um (laughs) there you know there there are if you're looking at something the size of an 18 wheeler yeah they've got some things that will 
spread it a little bit, but as far as a something you pull behind a lawn tractor or push around, I haven't found it yet. It uh, <laughs> the only only thing that helped me at the last time I got a load of it, I had guineas, and for whatever reason, they thought it was so much fun to get in that pile of compost and turn around and fluff around and kick around, and my guineas did as much spreading of the compost as I did. But uh, uh, the only the only solution that I have seen to that, and I don't know if they still do it, but uh, uh, ABC Pest and Lawn at one point was using a blower, same kind of blower they use to spray or to blow insulation up in attics, and uh, they were um, they were using that to blow the compost around. The problem was the only compost that they found they thought really worked well was a biosolid compost, and I just. I just don't want that on my on my. I might have it on my fields, but not on my not on my yard. There's just too much contaminant in there in the way of hormones and pharmaceuticals and even some pesticide materials and biosolids compost. So I don't like that. But uh, I'm telling you, if somebody would work on modifying one of these uh, blowing units and get that working right, I could keep them busy. You know, seven days a week spreading that stuff out. So I wish I had a better answer, but. Um, I uh, haven't found anything that works consistently. Uh, somebody was making a a roller, you know, maybe two feet in diameter and doing it with uh, expanded metal, and they were doing a reasonably effective job of spreading it. But to me, it was more work sitting there shoveling, filling that thing, closing the lid on it, and then pushing around. That was more work than just putting it out with wheelbarrow, turning that hard rake upside down, and... Uh, now, the, the secret for me is don't try to do it all at once. You know, get out and do a reasonable area, come back and do another area the next day, and pretty soon it'll all be out there. Well, it'll keep you warm today if you did it. <laughs> this would be a, be a good activity, kind of like chopping firewood. This is the kind of day I like to get out and cut and split firewood, and then I know what to do with that afterwards. Well, speaking of firewood, I need to throw another uh, log on the fire here. It's getting cold. Yes, sir, and it's going to get colder, so you stay safe and call me again when I can help further, John. 10-4. All right, sir, appreciate it. And uh, let's see here, I believe Elisa is up next. Good morning, is it Elisa or Alicia? Alisa. Alisa, good morning. How can I help you today? Uh, I'm doing fine. Um, I hope you're doing well. Um, Absolutely. Um, okay, Um my first question is, I, I have been really good about putting something in the ground every day. Um, mm-hmm. Can I put anything in the ground during this freeze? Can I plant anything? You certainly can. Um, are you thinking vegetables? Or are you thinking flowers? Or are you thinking shrubs? What? Uh, wh- how's your energy uh, level today? <laughs> vegetables. 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 Uh, it be a great day to plant spinach. Uh, spinach okay. is one of our most cold-hardy vegetables, um, you could plant, no, I guess I'd, I'm, I'm going to pretty much limit it, uh, there. Uh, Brussels sprouts would be safe to plant. The problem with Brussels sprouts is that they are slow to mature. It takes about three times as long to actually get Brussels sprouts as it does to get, take, uh, to get broccoli and cauliflower and, uh, um, even broccoli and cauliflower, those little transplants would not be happy with uh, getting down in the middle teens, which was what we may be seeing. But if you just want to be able to keep your record intact, see if you can find anybody that's got spinach plants. Uh, the uh, 
that that would be the one thing that I think you would be just fine to plant. Now, if you want to plant and then put some insulate over it, uh, you could do broccoli, um, you could do chard. Those things could be planted, but I'd sure throw some row cover over them uh, for the rest of the week if you do that. Well, I was thinking about seeds. Okay, well, if you want to plant, if you want to plant seeds, uh, go ahead and uh, plant some snow peas. Uh, this cold weather is going to have passed before they would have a chance to sprout, and this is a good time to get your crop of snow peas planted. And uh, and if you like the idea of spinach, uh, spinach is one of the uh, one of those leafy greens that you can plant from seed very well. Uh, I like Melody. I like Improved Bloomsdale. There's several good spinaches out there, and uh, be fine to plant spinach seed. Remember, with anything that you plant from seed, even the things that are very cold hardy. They're not cold hardy the day they sprout out of the ground. They have to spend some time in the sun, uh, photosynthesizing, making sugars. It's the sugar in the sap that actually makes them hardy to the cold. And so even a really cold hardy plant, the first couple of weeks after it sprouts, uh, it's going to need a little bit of protection. So whatever you plant in the way of seeds, uh, keep in mind that, and, and you know, it's going to be a week or 10 days before they start coming up, so you're not going to have to worry about this week's cold. But keep in mind that if we have continuing cold weather, that those little new sprouts are not going to be cold hardy for at least a couple of weeks. Okay, what about sugar snap peas? Uh, that's, you know, that's, that's what I mean by edible pod peas. They will do very well. And I, yeah, any, any time when they first come up, yeah, I would give them a little bit of protection, whether it's the bush form or the vining form. But once they're up and have had time to make some carbohydrates, um, the cold weather will damage blooms, will keep them from setting many peas. But the beauty of planting them this time of year is you can grow a nice big plant. About the time it becomes mature enough to bloom will probably be beyond any, be beyond any freezing weather. And then your sugar snaps, edible pods, whatever you want to call them, then they're going to keep on producing until it gets really hot, sometimes well up into the summer months. Okay. Um, okay. Um, is it okay if I ask another question? Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, I appreciate it. Um, I'm, the, my question is going to be a little controversial, uh, but I do. I don't mind uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I live in a trailer, and it's I, I keep the area around it. Um, I, I, you know, I don't like deadwood because it's not good in the summer. So I, mm-hmm. when I can, I burn it. You know, and um, I, uh-huh. I do. I'm. Uh, can I use the warm ash to keep some of my crops, some of the seeds that haven't sprouted yet, warm? Can I sprinkle that no. on them if they're if it's warm? No? Okay. All right. No. And the, uh, the reason is, uh, the reason's real simple. Um, the old common name for potassium was potash because that's what people had in their fireplaces, and whether they burned coal, whether they burned wood, whatever. Uh, and the pot ash as it were or in your case the ashes from uh, your burn pile or whatever and and i burn too i'm not opposed to burning at all but uh i chip it where i can but but yeah burning is a necessary thing and a small amount of ash goes a long way the ash is very very alkaline and our soil is already very alkaline and our soil is already overdone with potassium so uh, you will actually cause some problems uh, using straight ashes. Now, 
once again, if you spread them pretty wide, spread them around, I'll go out on a windy day with a bucket of ash and just literally throw it up in the air and let nature spread it around. A light application of wood ashes is a very good way to get some extra minerals back into the soil, but a heavy concentration, no, it'll be bad for your plants rather than good for them. Okay. What about putting in my compost as long as I keep up uh, with the other material? Oh, absolutely. But I would not want okay. the ash to be more than about 5% by volume. Okay, 5%. Okay. Um, uh, what about burning, um, like, um, your tomato, old tomato plants? They say that it has um, diseases in them. Should I burn them or should I just throw them away? Well, burning is going to certainly take care of any diseases, uh, but composting okay. will generally take care of those diseases as well. At the price of compost around my garden, anything that's vegetative in general, um, and, and, you know, there there would be limitations. If we had some virus diseases and things like that, I might be a little more circumspect about it. But uh, most of the old vegetable material in my garden goes into the compost bin and gets used first as mulch and then uh, later as a soil amendment. So uh, you do what's what's good for you. I I tend to chip what I can. I tend to burn what I can't chip, and anything that's bigger than that becomes uh, firewood for my friends or for myself. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I was the one who called you a couple of weeks ago about um, all the acorns I had. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they make good mulch. <laughs> you, you just can't go barefoot on them. No, no, no. Uh, but anyways, yeah, um, I guess that's all I have. Oh, um, I know this is an early question because we probably can't plant these until um, spring, but can you put microgreens in the ground? or Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Just once again, remember that they are tender. Um, all of your greens, your lettuce-type greens, uh, they're not as hardy as things like spinach and chard. But uh, but no, you can grow a wonderful garden of microgreens and have one of the healthiest uh, things for your table that you will ever have. And uh, you just have to do that. Spring and fall, they're not real happy or they tend to get a little bit bitter. In the really hot summer, they will freeze in a real cold spell like we're having now. But spring and fall, microgreens are a fantastic thing to have in your garden. Okay. All right. I appreciate all your help. Always a pleasure, Lisa. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you. Have a good day. Goodbye. You too. Bye. All right. uh, We need to take a quick break here. It'll be Ron and Susan and Frank when we come back. It looks like I get to talk to you about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center, and that's such a pleasure. And want you to put a date on your calendar to the 27th of January. That's coming up in a couple of weeks. That's when they're going to have their big fruit tree seminar. Larry Stein's coming in to do it. As always, if you want a good chance to talk with somebody who's been doing it for years about varieties, about pruning, about uh, most everything you need to know. Unfortunately, he's not as organic as I wish he was, but he certainly knows his fruit trees. And this is a free of charge seminar. Starts at 9 o'clock on the 27th right there at Fanix. So, and as they say, it's going to be rain or shine, wet or cold. So bundle up and get ready if it's weather like this. But it will be a wonderful seminar and a great chance to learn. While you're there, you can check out an incredible supply of fruit trees from peaches and plums to berries to all sorts of wintertime vegetables, wintertime flowers they've got it all 
wonderful selection of shade trees as well. Trees that qualify for the CPS Energy Program where you can get up to $50 credit per tree. You have to go to the CPS Energy website to learn all about that. But Phoenix is well stocked on those trees as well. Plus, they've got all the organic compost and fertilizers and mulches and all those things you need. Not to mention the Traeger pellet grills and all the accessories and the Ego lithium-ion battery-powered outdoor equipment. Lots of reasons to go to Phoenix, right where they've been for about 90 years over on Home Green Road. Open every day except major holidays. Check out their website at Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550, KTSA, and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. It's be Ron and Suzanne and Frank and James. Ron is up first. Good morning, Ron. Good morning, Bob. Uh, very morning, quick, sir. The coldest I've ever, I've ever been is I was on a canoe trip on the Guadalupe River in early June. I was a skinny 35-year-old. <laughs> and, of course, we, 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 we tipped over, but we had to ride back in the back of a pickup. Oh, wow. Back to where our cars were parked. And I, it's the coldest I've ever been. I was so hyperthermic. It took me hours to warm up. <laughs> Well, I, I'm with you there. I've been in, uh, I'm just not a fan of cold and, uh, I grew up water skiing my, uh, junior high years in East Tennessee and we had, uh, the lakes there have what they call a thermocline. And, uh, Texans don't even know what a real thermocline is, but that meant about the upper foot of water was nice, warm water to be in, but you got down deeper than that and it was frigid. And you got up on those skis, you wanted to be real sure you didn't fall <laughs> until you were ready to go in for the day. Cause, yeah, I know about being wet and getting a little bit of breeze blowing over you, the old evaporative cooling. I'm sitting here shivering just thinking about your experience. <laughs> Well, I'm I, I'm not I'm not Omar, but I planted a celebrity tomato plant uh-huh. probably in March in a big pot in my backyard, and it doesn't get enough direct sunlight. And so I finally last night because I knew it was going to freeze, I probably picked thirty green tomatoes. Yeah. So my question is, and by the way, this thing has been in the pot for what ten months? All <laughs> right. Uh, it, gets, it gets it gets light, but not enough sunlight to ripen the tomatoes. Uh-huh. So my okay. question is: Is there is there an outdoor gr- uh, grow light? Well, not one that works well. Um, and yeah. in the, it, it's not just a matter of light, but when the temperatures get cool, uh, tomatoes get real slow to ripen. It takes four times as long to ripen on the plant, you know, as it would during warmer weather. Much as I hate to say it, um, probably what you ought to do is pick those tomatoes. Anything that is uh, half of its normal mature size or bigger, put them in the windowsill. They will ripen. Yeah, Believe I, me, the yeah, the stuff you buy at the grocery store was not red and pretty when it was picked. And uh, you can ripen them, and they'll be very good. Anything that's smaller than that, there are lots of other things to do, uh, from fried green tomatoes to chow chow to you know, salsa, lots of different things you can do with a tomato before it gets up to be to be the size that you would really like it to be. But uh, that's a great question. I never really thought much about it. But, no, they really don't make an outdoor grow light that I'm aware of. And even if they did, yeah. it wouldn't speed up the ripening. It's the warmth along with the light okay. that uh, changes the color and ripens the, the fruit. Okay. Well, I have about 12 of them on the, on the windowsill right now. The others are uh-huh. too small and, 
And I, you know, being an old Southern boy, I know how to do fried green tomatoes. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good thing. And, uh, and, you know, keep in mind for, you know, next year, if you're thinking of doing this again, they make little plant caddies and things like that. So you don't have to lift a big old heavy pot, but things that you can just, you know, keep that pot on and roll it inside when it gets real cold. Now, by January, most of our tomatoes are going to be about through, but, uh, sometimes it's real useful. It gets people planting them earlier in the spring because they can always move them if we get that unexpected late cold. But, uh, yeah. no, I'd say it's time for some fried green tomatoes. Let me know what time you'll be serving. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, the problem is my, my yard is surrounded. I live in Alamo Heights and uh-huh. surrounded by these giant live oaks, and I just cannot find a place in my yard where I get enough direct sunlight. You know, I understand. It's, it's so frustrating. I have a ranch out in the hill country where I do grow them there, but then I have trouble with everything from raccoons to rats to birds to eat my tomatoes because I don't live there. Yeah. But I was trying to grow some here at the house. Well, thank you, Bob. I, I was hoping somebody made an outdoor green, grow light. <laughs> well, no, but, and and I know Alamo Heights is, uh, you know, very heavily treed, but uh, I have one friend that gardens in his front yard because he says that's the only uh, the only place he gets enough sun to grow good tomatoes and things, but then he worries about the neighbors stealing them. So, uh, you know, welcome to the the big old cold world out there. But you're doing a lot of things right, Ron. You keep it up. Okay. Thank you, Bob. Thanks a lot. My pleasure. Take Thank care. you. Uh-huh. Bye. Ah, next is Suzanne. Good morning, Suzanne. Uh, good morning. I finally got through. Very I good. Problem. I have a problem flower bed that has been taken over my goldenrod, and I have dug it out twice. Mm-hmm. I want to turn this bed into an, I want to plant agapanthus in there. So I was thinking about digging down two feet, take all the dirt out. No, it, no, that's not going to. Yeah, it, uh, um, what you'll need to do, and of course, wait till it warms up a little bit to plant your agapanthus, but keep that bed fairly heavily mulched probably with compost. The agapanthus will love that, and the compost will keep 90% of the goldenrod from sprouting, and the rest of it that does sprout will be a lot easier to pull than get rid of it. And the amount of work that's going to be is a fraction of what it would be. And goldenrod seed is very small. I promise you, you think you've dug every bit of the soil out, you bring in all new soil, you're still going to have goldenrod sprouts. So uh, just, you know... Till it, incorporate some compost in because agapanthus likes a fairly rich soil. I take it this is a pretty sunny spot. It is. It's sunny all day till about 4 p.m. Okay, well, agapanthus needs at least half a day of sun to do well. And they look delicate, and so people always plant them in the shade, and then they wonder why they don't bloom. Uh, but, no, I I would... Do your normal soil preparation. I would plant your agapanthus. Keep it well mulched with compost, and the goldenrod's going to be a very minor problem. Well, I've pulled it out twice, and it mm-hmm. just keeps coming back. So uh, can you, I spray it with something? You can. Um, oh, golly, chances are, uh, well, it's just it, the timing is what's, is what's difficult uh, because things that spray or things that sprout in the winter months we kill them real easily but in the summer months when we've got you know good things growing that we don't want to bother uh there's no there's no selective spray that knows the difference between agapanthus and goldenrod uh but there are some things you can use if you don't have one 
uh, get somebody that wants to give you a real nice gift and get them to give you what is called a push-pull hoe. You will be amazed how quickly you can uh, eliminate weeds from a flower bed without bending over and hurting your back doing it. Mm-hmm. But well, I just I don't, don't, have don't, the don't planted yeah. yet. I was mm-hmm. thinking I could spray it and then plant the agapanthus in the spring. Well, if if you have goldenrod growing, you can spray with that mixture of vinegar and orange oil, and you'll kill out anything that's green that you have. But your biggest problem is going to be from seeds that are going to sprout after it warms up when you already have your agapanthus in, and that's what your compost uh-huh. is going to really help limit. Um, how tall do you want the bloom spikes, and how tall do you want the uh, do you want the plants to be on your agapanthus? Oh, just a three feet. Two okay, feet. because there there are many different sizes and a lot of different new hybrids out there on agapanthus uh, lily of the Nile, as some people you know call it. the The standard ones are going to get six feet tall, so you want to stay away from those. Uh, little John, mm-hmm. not Little John. Uh, Oh, golly, I'd have to think for a minute. But anyway, there are dwarf agapanthus that the foliage gets to about 18 inches, and uh, the bloom spikes will get to about two and a half or three feet. Those are probably what you're going to be looking for. There's a new dwarf white along with the usual dwarf blue. Uh, so, yeah, agapanthus is a wonderful plant, but just keep in mind it needs lots of sun to bloom. If your area is sunny till 4 o'clock, it should do very well for you. Awesome. Okay. Thanks for the info. Always a pleasure. Thank you for the call this morning. All right. You need to take a quick break here, and then we will be back, and it'll be Frank's turn. But right now, I get to talk to you about Dr. Williamson. Dr. Mark Williamson is really a man among men, a dentist among dentists, so to speak. It's just today's dentists coming out of uh, dental school, guys and gals both, they're really pretty much taught, if it's anything beyond cleaning or filling, send them off to a specialist. Well, Dr. Williamson is probably the most broadly trained dentist you will ever find. I mean, he has a wonderful education, spent years working with Dr. Staffel, who is also a very broadly trained dentist, and this is the guy that other dentists refer to, but wouldn't it be fun just to go one place and have all your dental needs taken care of? Plus, you're going to find he's an extremely nice person. It's awfully nice. Wouldn't you love to have a a man that you could call your friend as well as your dentist? Well, you'll feel that way about Dr. Williamson and his entire staff. One of those welcoming places uh, uh, you will you will ever visit. And just the competence, the quality of care, just doesn't get any better. Uh, easy to locate, very conveniently located out in Northwest San Antonio on Cherry Ridge Drive. Just. Uh, uh, just um, outside of Loop 410 and just uh, east of uh, I-10 over there. Easy to find. And uh, like I say, just great people. If you are looking for a new dentist, whether your dentist uh, has retired, moved away, whether you're new to the area and you want to start with the best, consider Dr. Williamson and Associates. Phone number 341-2569-210. 341-2569 for an absolutely great dental group. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Looks like next in line is Frank. Good morning, Frank. Hello, Frank. Yes, sir. Uh, Hi. I got you loud and clear. How can I help? Okay. Um, 
I think one, two things. I got a, uh, we, we had a tree cut down in old ash that was 45, 50 years old. Uh-huh. And my neighbor gave me an oak tree. It's about three or four foot tall in a pot. Okay. And uh, I repotted it in a bigger pot. And uh, so far, nothing's going on, you know, good or bad. It's just got the same leaves and thing. But uh-huh. I'm thinking... How how long could that thing stay in that pot? That it, it's easily five or seven gallons. You can keep it indefinitely. Now, if you're in an area that's going to get really cold, it's going to get down, you know, below 15 degrees this week, I would bring it inside. I'm not worried about the tree freezing, but if the whole pot freezes solid, that can be damaging to the root system, to the trees. So uh, you can keep it in a pot indefinitely. I mean, our growers, they keep putting them in bigger and bigger pots, but they've got, you know, trees that are 20 feet tall and 6 inches in diameter have to use a tractor to move them uh, but that tree can stay in a pot indefinitely you just want to you know balance the size of the tree you don't ever put a little bitty tree in a great big pot you, you move them up gradually and we usually kind of split the roots down one side when we go from a smaller pot to a bigger pot but if you've got a, a five gallon container that tree will be fine in there probably until it's five or six feet tall and then if you want to go up to a 10 or ultimately a 15 gallon container uh, you can keep it in a pot until it's convenient for you to put it in the ground okay well i got i did i put it in the garage already that that ought to be good enough you think uh, it depends on how cold it gets. If your garage stays warm, I would think it would be fine because uh, the tree's not going to suffer from the cold and that root ball's not going to freeze unless it gets down below 15 degrees or so, and that's not likely to happen in your garage. Okay. And one more quick question. I had, um, uh, I don't know why, the, the uh, patio sunk a little bit in the back, and when it rained, um, we get water running on it. And I was wondering... Who would who do, do, would you like to be come out here and take out that grass and lower that and put a rock uh, like a a rock garden there? Oh, you'd just need a uh, a good landscaper of some sort to do that. Uh, you might call oh one of the rock yards around one of the people that sell. Uh, stone and things and ask if they have anyone to recommend uh, I don't uh, you know I, I don't know any one person I don't know some people that you know concrete rock in and things like that but uh, I'd, I'd call Garza Masonry and Stone or maybe even uh, uh, just one of the big material yards and uh, ask them if okay. they they probably have a list of people that uh, they can recommend to actually do the installation okay good deal all right. Well, take it easy. Have a good good day, Bob. I'll do my very best, and I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, sir. Uh, James, I'm running real close to news time, so hold on here, and uh, we'll we'll make you first after the news break, and that way we'll have have won't be rushing anything. I want to take just a couple of minutes here to remind everyone: be sure that your automatic sprinkler systems are cut off before. 
the weather gets below freezing, if you if your sprinkler system comes on and sprays that warm water on shrubs, even totally cold hardy shrubs, it will destroy the foliage. Warm water on a frozen leaf makes the little cells explode, and you will have the ugliest ligustrum or whatever else you've ever seen that will be totally bare for the bottom two or three feet if that warm water from your sprinkler system hits them while the temperature is below freezing. So just be sure your automatic systems are shut off. I'd shut them off now because we're going to be below freezing more than we are through the uh, through the rest of this week. Uh, if you don't mind being outside, mulching is a really good thing to do, especially on your perennials, on things that would normally freeze back. Uh, be sure you've got a couple of inches of mulch around the base of your lantanas, around your tender salvias, your indigo spires and mystic spires and uh, dulbergs and all of those. Not so important on salvia gregia. They're pretty much totally cold hardy, but uh, your kufias of all sorts, the David Verity, the bat-faced, uh, your Mexican heather is probably just going to freeze. <laughs> it may or may not survive. But if you want to try to save it, three inches of mulch over the base of it would be a real good idea. Also very important on things like lemongrass, on things like Mexican mint marigold, those things are going to freeze down. They have a lot better chance of coming back out if you've got two or three inches of mulch over the ground, over those uh, over those little low plants. Uh, now fertilizing, nothing at all wrong with putting organic fertilizer out. Uh, you probably want to use the dry rather than the liquid, but if you just haven't been able to get around to getting uh, your fertilizer put out, if you want to be outside on a day like this, get some good Medina or Maestro Grow or whatever, get that fertilizer down. It's uh, it's good to put the fertilizer on. The plants will appreciate it. It's just a little cold on you. Right back after news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Getting back to uh, gardening here. It's going to be James and Mary and Charlie and Tim. James is first in line. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. Well, good morning, Farmer James. How are you this morning? Sitting by that uh, iron stove, I'll bet you. Well, I got to get up and move this chair back a little bit. It's it's getting too hot. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, yeah, you're lucky I can't hang up on you here. That sounds so good. That sounds so good. What's going on? Well, we got uh, uh, about a hundred foot of double row cilantro covered, and uh, about a hundred foot of uh, double row Korean radish is covered, and. Uh, they ought to make it uh, through the cold weather, but I'm worried about the onions, man. I've been spraying them with seaweed for the last forever and uh, trying to, you know, do something. Well, it's, I, you know, who knows how it's cold it's going to get. You're you're in Marion, so you're just a little ways uh you know, north of San Antonio, the coldest I've seen for San Antonio is somewhere around 15 or 16 degrees. And I don't think that's likely to hurt your onions. I mean, you're not pushing them along. You're not overfeeding them so that they're trying to grow too fast. So I, uh, uh, you know, what, what I do when I'm growing bok choy or when I'm growing something like that that's not real hardy is I make like a little, oh, uh, if you turn the U upside down, I use two short legs and then a longer piece of pipe in the middle, 
and uh, I can push those legs down in the ground to where that's just about 10 or 12 inches above the ground, and then I just do like a pup tent on top of it. I just, uh, you know, put the put the row cover over it and push those pins down through to hold it in place, and uh, um, I, that you know that that will carry your onions for just about anything else through it's a little bit of work but um i it in 15 degrees i wouldn't i wouldn't worry about it if i could at least get some row cover over it and that's how i do it so that i can get the row cover on without uh without crushing the plants yeah they're not covered i don't know how low they'll go yeah i i've had them down in the teens before without any damage but um uh, again, it's uh, it's not a very nice day to be out there working. But if you can put just a you know a, a little frame of any sort, just you know a, a two dimensional, not three dimensional, and then just you know stretch your rope over over it like a pup tent. And uh, I pull bok choy and some really tender things through doing that. Uh, I can't get the seaweed spray to stick to the onions. It just beads up. Have you got Same. any advice? Uh, it's the same way it is on broccoli and chard. Uh, enough of it sticks on there to do some good, but, uh, you know, you're never going to get it to stick on the way it does on tomatoes and peppers and things like that. Okay. We were, uh, beat up pretty bad last year by the tomato fruit worm. Uh, yeah. um, hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars worth of tomatoes. I mean, oh, wow. it, was just, it wasn't good. So well, I got some uh, monitoring traps and I got some pheromones. So as soon as um, as soon as the moth shows up, I'll know it's time to get w- with the BT spray. Yeah, but and always use put- yeah always use that molasses with the BT. Old Barney Grimm, uh, who was one of the pioneers of BT spraying, told me it made it up to forty times as effective to, when you put the molasses in with the BT. Okay. W- if we're going to spray BT, we need to mix the mix up a 50 gallon batch of compost and spray it all at once. And my question is, uh, Elaine recommends using molasses as a sticker spreader. So, how much molasses in that combination for a sticker spreader? 50 Would you have a good gallons of spray. You know, I'm going to recommend it about a tablespoon per gallon. Um, you know, in a normal mix. So, uh, how many, how many tablespoons? Let's see, there'd be 16 tablespoons in a you know, pint. So, four times 16 is 64. Um, you, you're probably going to, yeah, you're, you're probably going to be looking at, uh, oh, roughly a quart? A, a quart, a little over a quart, quart and a half of molasses. Okay. Um, I was talking to the, uh, pheromone people and, uh, this uh, this trap is pretty expensive. It's not like the little wing traps you see in the apple orchards. It's a big production, but it'll last for as long as I need it. And the little pheromones are about at two dollars a piece, and they they last for two weeks. Yeah. So we're going to get get with the program, but we're also going to. I thought I had enough tricos, but um, the plan is to. Uh, when the moths show up, it start uh, start releasing trichos on on both farms. I think you're very wise to do that. I, you know, it's uh, and and I don't know any reason the trichogramma wouldn't go after the you know the eggs of that moth is like they do. 
Uh, they they go mainly after moth eggs, not butterfly eggs. So yeah, I and they're cheap. I'd I probably put out a little strip, you know, once a week or so. Yeah, we're going to try every two weeks. Is what the girl on the other end of the phone was telling me at the Arbico, or I can't remember the name of the place. It's in um, Arizona, I think. But uh-huh. uh, she's got a real good price delivered. They're like under twenty bucks, so that's not bad. Very good. Yeah, no, they the worms were bad last year, and uh, the weather didn't help. It was it was a tough year. I, some people that just were in the right spot. I've got people bragging about how the good they did with their tomatoes, but most everybody I know had kind of an off year between the bugs and the heat and everything else. So uh, yeah, we're just gonna have to plan a little bit better and do a little bit more to get ahead of the problems this year. Bob, that worm is the same worm as the. Um the uh, corn earworm and they've uh-huh. been growing corn out here since forever yep. so the, it's it's a problem for me but uh i think uh you attack it on all fronts you ought to at least have a few tomatoes to sell absolutely put up a bat house too they say that uh the bats are one of the main things that goes after those moths that lay the eggs <laughs> and uh i i know a lot of corn farmers started putting you know doing anything they could to attract the bats to the area um to uh you know to help with that like you say it's it's not one simple solution you got to do a bunch of different things to uh to get it done okay bob thanks for taking My call and answering all my questions. I appreciate it. It's always a pleasure talking to you, James. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, goodbye. Uh, Mary is next in line. Good morning, Mary. Hello. Hello. Good morning. Oh, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Um, You've uh, run this by um, people before, but I've kind of forgotten how you did it. I want to take some uh, stepping stones and river walk, I mean, river rock off of a path Mm -hmm. and then put put down, did you say pea gravel? No, no, never, never said anything in in pea gravel. In fact, whatever you, are you going to put the stepping stones back in place? I I am, and then they're kind of surrounded by uh, the medium-sized river rock. Okay. Well, you need to use a very fine sand uh, to, you know, to set your stones, to have them stay stable. Um, You can't use anything. You can't even use anything like concrete sand or decayed granite or anything because it's such a such a large particle. You need to use a a very fine, almost uh, uh, almost a beach sand to set your stone. If you want it to be really permanent, you mix a little bit of Portland cement, not concrete, but Portland cement. I would put about two shovelfuls of cement to a wheelbarrow full of the uh, sand. Uh, Put that down, set your stone immediately, and it will, in effect, lock it into place. You can't mix it up and let it sit, or it will get hard. But uh, this is what we call cement stabilizing. And if you do that as you set your stones, uh, and then put your river rock around it, it's not going anywhere. It'll be there forever. Okay. And it's a circular path around about five live oak trees. Uh Uh-huh. And weeds grow up through the river rock and and it looks awful and so um, I was hoping to have something down to prevent that those weeds growing up through the river rock 
Well, it will certainly do that if you, you know, if you if you do it a little bit at a time and set your river rock in that same, you know, sand and oh. cement mix, you'll have virtually no weeds will ever come up through that. But don't even think oh. about using any of the so-called weed block fabrics because the weeds will just come. They'll grow on top of that. Nutsedge will come up through it. But what you're doing is is basically creating, in effect, a uh, uh, the effect of a concrete sidewalk, but the look of, uh, you know, just river stone and flagstone. So, uh, yeah, look up, um, it, it just cement stabilization and you, you go to, you know, any, any box store, uh, home, home store, or whatever, anywhere that sells, uh, building products and, uh, get a bag of the Portland cement. You're going to need some help because the smallest bag they put it in is 90 pounds. Uh, but you mix about two, Broad shovels full of that with a uh, wheelbarrow of fine sand. Use that to set your flagstone and your river stone, and you'll create what is going to be pretty much weed-proof and pretty much permanently in place. Oh, great. Oh, great. And so I did you say I dampened that and then put it down? No, no. You will. uh, There'll be enough moisture in the air. will cause it to harden up just fine for you. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you having to repeat that. <laughs> well, it's not a problem. I'm sure there are lots of people glad to have that answer, Mary. So uh, you stay warm, and when it warms up, if you need any more help or guidance, you call me back. All right. Thank you, Bob. You're sure welcome. Thank you. Uh, Greg, I've done all the live, so uh, let's uh, let's run a break here, and we'll get back to some more phone calls. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. And uh, let's see, I believe Charlie and Tam are my next two callers. And Charlie's first in line. Good morning, Charlie. Uh, good morning, Bob. Thank good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Certainly. And I, um, I have a, a bougainvillea and a... Uh, um, Hong Kong orchid, wrapped okay. up to you know without putting a ladder out to wrap uh-huh. all the way to the top, um, you know so they're about five to six feet. Uh huh. The branches, you know, everything that's sticking out above that that doesn't get wrapped. Should I just cut that off or leave it on or? Uh, wait and see what the weather does. Who knows? Sometimes it doesn't get as cold as they expect. Now, your Hong Kong orchid tree, you should be wrapping pretty close, you know, wrap the trunk tightly because in this case, you know, we're trying to keep the trunk from freezing so that it can come out and regrow again. Um, your, your bushy bougainvillea, you know, if you're just in effect kind of creating a tent around it, it's probably going to freeze anyway, as cold as it's going to get. So the other thing I would do is put two, three inches of mulch around the base. So even if the whole top freezes, uh, that it will, and it will come back out. Bougainvilleas, uh, you know, can freeze down close to the ground and regrow very quickly the next spring. So um, uh, I would, uh, you know, I, I again, I get two, three inches of mulch around the base of it. And then just we'll have to wait and see what the temperature does. But your Hong Kong orchid tree, don't don't be trying to protect the branches. The only thing you're really trying to protect uh, is the trunk itself, so that it can regrow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. On the Hong Kong orchid, you know, it froze back what, last last winter, and so uh-huh. there's just no dominant uh, uh, trunk right now. So I mm-hmm. have like two or three, you know, branches 
call them branches yep. that have uh, grown out from the from down at the bottom. So yeah, well, wrap them they're if only you. Like, they're only like about it. Shoot, I'd be surprised if they're an inch in diameter. They're probably okay. Well, just plan that those are probably going to freeze, but it's going to, higher share at the nursery has come out three or four times now uh, after winters like this. And it, it basically has gotten to where it's just kind of an oversized shrub. But um, uh, that's just the problem with Hong Kong orchids and uh, Texas weather. We went for a lot of years without having these severe winters, and now we've got three winters in a row when we've gotten some very severe weather. So, um uh, <laughs> well, welcome to Texas and welcome to gardening. But if you can protect the lower part of that trunk, your Hong Kong orchid will come out. I fully expect if they get as, if it gets as cold as they say it's going to, uh, your bougainvillea is probably going to freeze down near ground level. But it will come back from that as well. And it's amazing how fast uh, how fast they come back out. Oh yeah, and it has been you know over the you know all these last freezes. I had wrapped it up. Go. Well, I'll go ahead and try to wrap it once, and and so both of those I've wrapped in insulate uh, blanket, yeah. Um, yeah. and and so and I just kind of pulled up like the bougainvillea carefully, uh-huh. pulled up the branches, you know, yeah. and then and then wrapped and then wrapped it without getting poked too many times. Well, uh, and don't hesitate to prune. You know, you're the end of those branches is going to freeze. So if you need to cut off the last third of the branch or whatever else, don't worry about doing it. Right. Where does um. Assuming all the branches survive, is it mm-hmm. will it come back out at the end of those where I've tr- uh, yeah. pruned it? Oh yeah, or, yeah. It it okay. will branch at that point and come out as well. Okay, all right. And will this cold get rid of this Velcro plant stuff? No. <laughs> it, it, yeah, it'll get rid of the plants, but it's not going to do a thing to the seeds that are going to sprout back out next spring. Okay, so darn. I was hoping it would. Yeah, I wish it would, too. But it's like all these people that say, oh, the cold's going to kill all the bugs. Uh, sorry, it doesn't work that way. <laughs> so, Okay, that was it. Um, so I'll just leave the branches and see what happens and, and go from there. That's about the best you can do. And uh, keep your fingers crossed it doesn't get quite as cold as they say. Yes, sir. Okay, well, thank you very much, Bob. You're certainly welcome, Charlie. Appreciate the call. And Tim is next in line. Good morning, Tim. Good morning, Bob. I'm, Good morning. I've planted, and there we've been harvesting spinach and uh, the leaves of, of beets and the leaves of kale. And, Very good. Uh, so uh, I've cut back as much as I could for sure it didn't freeze, but uh, at a garage sale, I got something that looked like insulate, but I don't think it's insulate. It seems to be a little bit heavier. How long can I leave that on those crops before they die from lack of sunshine? Well, if you're using insulate, you could leave it on all winter. I don't know what product you have, but uh, that's the beauty of the insulate. It, is, it does transmit the light along with protecting from the cold. So uh, it just depends on, uh, uh, you know, what what the product is and how much light it lets go through and without looking at it it'd be hard to say i don't know why insulate works so well but we've um you know we left things wrapped all winter long with it and it does just fine yeah well <clears throat> i was thinking you know it, it perhaps it's not insulate uh but it, it looks like it mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it, if it's not insulate uh to be safe i should probably take it off uh as soon as we get out of this real cold stuff 
uh, that would be what I would suggest. But that may be a week and a half or something. Who knows? <laughs> well, a week and a half without light's not going to hurt anything. A month and a half without light, you know, is going to be bad. But I've seen, you know, spells of weather when it got really cloudy and stayed really dark for an extended period of time. You go up to Seattle and that part of the world, they, they have a very dark conditions. And, of course, they can't grow everything we can. But a week, week and a half uh, without much light at all is not going to be a big issue. Well, good. I wanted to make sure I covered it and didn't get caught without being covered it because it definitely was freezing. Yeah. yeah. We, have, we had the edible pea pods. They've been, I planted them in September. They've been producing, but I'm sure if I don't cover those, those plants will be melted, won't they? Uh, I would say probably so. Um, generally speaking, they, the plants will go down to the lower 20s, but uh, uh, this, unfortunately, is going to be... Um, going to be one of, you know, substantially colder than that if the weathermen are anywhere close to right. But the good news is we've still got to plant another crop, and, uh, you know, I'll be planting some more seeds as soon as we're as soon as we're past this severe cold and getting another crop up on the way. Okay. Second question. I have uh, about five uh, knockout roses in 10-gallon pots. Uh, do I need, to, in addition to watering it well and and mulching it, uh, do I need to cover that with something for knockouts? Um, hopefully not. Um, our the, the problem would be if the soil freezes solid all the way through the pots. And even though, are you here in San Antonio? Uh, in New Braunfels. Yeah, okay. Even though we're supposed to get really cold at night, we're supposed to get back above freezing during the day. So I don't think that's going to be as much of a problem. Now, if once again, if it goes below freezing and stays below freezing for 48 hours, um, I, that would be more damaging. But uh, there's just really, you know, no way no way to predict that. If it's something that you can move or if you... You know, if it's something that you could even get a cheap tarp and put over to help keep a little bit of the cold wind off of it. I'd like to say, I doubt that it's going to be an issue. Uh, if you were in Austin or something, we might be more concerned because it looks like it's going to get below freezing and stay below freezing if you get very far north. But here in San Antonio, um, uh, I, if you've watered your, your knockouts thoroughly, I think you're doing about everything you can do. Okay. Well, good. Well, always appreciate you and your program and reminders of things I'd forgotten about. So. <laughs> well, I've forgotten more than most people have ever learned. So uh, uh, you always feel free to call anytime we can help and uh, um, always be here to help you every way we possibly can, Tim. Get out and stay warm and keep those plants as warm as you can. Yeah. God bless. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right, Greg, I guess we better get another break in. We do have some open lines. Uh, Grab one of those, 210-599-5555. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, let's get back to gardening here. It looks like it's Roger and Judy and Doc and Mary. Roger is first in line. Good morning, Roger. Good morning, Bob. Hey, Good morning. I remember, coldest I remember in, uh, growing up in Wisconsin back in the early 80s, 40 below with a 90 below wind chill. Woo. You can have that. That's the reason uh, I know. one 
One one of our uh, one of our managers uh, grew up in Wisconsin, and she says nobody retires back to Wisconsin. <laughs> it's, no, uh, no, that that's too cold for snowmen. <laughs> amen to that. Amen to that. Oh, uh, based on your suggestion, I I put in a uh, uh, cinder block uh, raised bed, four by eight feet, and I went uh-huh. so high with it, and so you don't have to bend over to the garden. I just yep. absolutely love it. Grow oh, it's a wall and everything. It's it's a great way to grow. It's yeah, it's it's nothing at all wrong with it. You get to pick your own soil that way, and uh, vegetables, herbs, just about anything else, uh, you can you can grow extremely well in that fashion. You can you can paint in any color you want. You can, and I've got hoops in it. I've got the PVC hoops, and I've got plastic over it right now. My my plants are smiling. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> yes, sir. It's economical too, man. It's it's not bad actually. Yeah. So anyway, I had a question, a, a couple different plants. Um, the orange peel cestrum, um, you know, I had one in a previous home and had a lot of water coming down off the roof there, and it just was mm-hmm. prolific. Oh, yeah. And, um, I'm just wondering, I'm in the hill country here in Belverde. I'm, I'm wondering, uh, watering needs, would it, how drought tolerant is it? And do deer love it or just kind of like it when it's when they're hungry or what do you know well, deer deer are almost always hungry in the hill country because we've got too many of them. Um, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't require um, it doesn't require any more water than any perennial, like most any salvia or kufia or anything else. Now, it's not cold hardy. Um, it's you know, in weather like this, you would have to mulch it heavily. Wrap it heavily, and the top's probably going to freeze back anyway. That's that's the only real disadvantage once you get up in the hill country. Regular freezing weather, freeze down and come back out. But, you know, when we're looking at weather potentially down in the teens, uh, Sestrum's probably not going to survive that. I see. Okay. And one one more quick question about um, in the springtime, I want to put in a pomegranate. Do you, still, mm-hmm. do you guys still recommend like the Wonderful is a real good one? Or Wonderful is, in my opinion, the best pomegranate that's ever been developed. There's some new ones out there, Ambrosia, some of the others that are a little bit bigger. But if you want the most dependable pomegranate around, it's still going to be wonderful. And then, and then springtime, like a typical springtime planting then for those, or what do you think? They're a, you know, a woody tree. Um, I, you know, by, by the 1st of February, it's unlikely that we're going to have any kind of cold that would hurt it. I mean, I wouldn't put it in the ground today, but uh, as soon as you can find it, like I say, February on, I think you'd be fine to plant it. Okay. All right. Thank you, Bob. I appreciate it. Well, it's my pleasure. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, sir. Ah, looks like the next person in line is Judy. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Well, are you surviving the cold anyway? My question is, microgreens, what do you consider microgreens? Microgreens are basically, there are a lot of things that that people tend to grow and lump into microgreens basically small leafy uh things are but you know occasionally people would include other sprouts uh from radish sprouts to beets to other edible things but microgreens typically are small growing lettuces that are harvested at a very young age okay i i guess why i'm asking is because i do have swiss chard and I uh-huh. always felt like I survived the cold well. 
Uh-huh, it does. So, uh, and I didn't plan to cover it, but now I'm listening to you. I'm thinking maybe I should go out and put some insulate on it. But anyway... Well, it's just the weathermen can't seem to make up their mind, you know, on how cold it's going to get. I wouldn't worry about it, you know, down to, say, 18, 19 degrees, which probably means in San Antonio it's not an issue. Where I am up in the hill country and they're forecasting 12 degrees, which means it can grow to, go to 10, I, you know, that would not, that would not be good. Okay, and I have a Chinese one. And it's kind of already bolted a bit, so I'm just going to let it go. I don't yeah. think it's going to put much more anyway. No, once okay. uh, once once uh, you know, Machili is probably the one you have. Um, it's uh, it, it's it's not once it's bolted, you can't make it young again, so to speak. So yeah, it's time to plant something else there. Okay, and I figure that I need the fig tree to freeze back. So how far back should we prune it? I, I, it's just gotten too big. So when I freeze this back a third, a half? I would wait and see where it comes out in the spring and then cut it back okay. to that point. Well, uh, you know, it, 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 may, it may freeze all the way, you know, down to six inches tall. And um, what chances are it is going to freeze substantially with this cold. And my guess is probably going to freeze back at least halfway. Uh, if you just say, well, you know, wait and see while it has no leaves on it, you prune it back by a third, you might have to go back and prune it even further than that. If you wait until, you know, you see the new buds starting to sprout and prune it back just above that point. That's what I usually do with mine, and it tends okay. to regrow fairly quickly. Well, I actually thought on the end there was green. I thought, you know, maybe with all our hot weather, it was actually thinking of coming out. But anyway, that'll this cold weather will take care of that. Well, chances um, are, if it gets if it gets as cold as say say it's going to, yeah, it's definitely gonna definitely gonna freeze back at least to some extent. Okay, another question I have is I have oregano, and it doesn't freeze for me. And I was thinking, mm-hmm. how does that work as a, like a ground cover or not a ground oh, cover? You no, know, it's a plant around trees or whatever. It, it's a great, what, yeah, as long as you have good sun, uh, it, it will make a very good ground cover. The problem, if your trees have a very dense canopy, then it's not going to okay. get enough sunlight to do well. But if it gets, uh, you know, if it gets adequate sun, it'll, it'll be a, you know, a fine ground cover. Okay, I'm not covering that. All right, well, I just keep thinking about that fig tree, and um, so I guess I'll I'll just wait and see. And I also That's... have one of those blue um, sages that mm-hmm. the it's the one that blue mist or something, and it just attracts the bees, and it has. Not frozen. Well, I shouldn't say mm-hmm. not frozen. It freezes back, so it then it comes back. Yeah, and I, would, and I yeah I would mulch it a couple of inches deep with compost okay. or any good mulch, 
and uh, this will pretty much ensure that it comes back. Most winters, it only freezes down to within a couple of inches of the ground, right. and that leaves plenty of live tissue for it to come back from below that point. Uh, this cold is a little bit you know, more than our typical, so it could freeze to the point that it would actually die. If you put two, three inches of mulch over, it almost certainly will come back out for you, regardless of how cold it gets. Okay, I'll just add a extra mulch then. All right, because I love it. It just attracts when it blooms all the time, and it attracts. Oh yeah, oh yeah. It it probably that's probably actually not a salvia. That's probably actually uh, in a different family. It's what they call Greg's mist. It's Eupatorium, if I remember correctly. But yeah, it's something that everyone who wants to attract insects and and butterflies, everybody should have some of that in their garden. Oh, I have Greg's mist. It- no, it's not Greg Smith, but anyway, that's all right. That Greg Smith spreads. <laughs> well, and they're they're invasive. yeah, they're but over a hundred different yeah, they're over a hundred different salvias, and and most all of them are have a have a good place in my garden. Okay, well, I appreciate. Thank you. You are I- certainly welcome. You stay warm, and I'll look forward to our next visit. Okay, thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you so much, Judy. Thank you. All right, Greg, let's get our last break of the show in, and uh, then we'll be back and visit with Doc and Mary and see how many more we can get in there. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right. Well, let's get back to gardening here. We've got a few minutes left in the show. Dr. Kirby will be in in a little while. Uh, right now, I think Doc is next in line. Good morning, Doc. How you doing, Bob? I'm off to a pretty good start today, but I sure wish it was warmer. I'll just put it that way. Amen. Let's get to it. Somebody's behind me. Uh, first thing, I'm going to have some um, spider lilies that are going to really take a beating in this cold. And when they get tore down or whatever you want to call it just wilt down i'm going to cut them off and whatnot um when's the best time to separate those bulbs to transplant them other places uh early spring probably around uh, late february early march okay so and, just let uh, them sit there for a while huh? yeah uh where are you located how cold do you anticipate you're going to get tonight I'm going to anticipate whatever they're telling me on on those prognosticators oh, okay. we have. Well, if, you know, some of some of the spider lilies uh, uh, can actually freeze and die if they get too cold. Now, if you're in Gonzales, you're probably going to you know be warmer in the hill country, and you're probably not going to have anything uh, but the foliage freeze. But uh, if I were talking to somebody that was, say, in Marble Falls or Austin or something like that, I would tell them to be proactive. I'd go out there today, and I'd cut all that foliage off the top, and then I'd put, you know, several inches of compost over the top of it to protect it from the cold. Now, if what you've got is that big one they call Peruvian daffodil, the white kind of oddly shaped bloom, uh, that's going to, you know, that's not, the plant's not going to freeze that much. You're going to have all the foliage freeze on it, that's for sure. But uh, the plant's not gonna is not gonna freeze and suffer. So, um, I, you know, your plan is probably the best. Just let it freeze, and then it's gonna be kind of slimy and nasty for a while. But uh, plan on dividing right. and moving those bulbs around sometime around the first of March, and uh, you're gonna be amazed how many bulbs when you get in there and start dividing. You probably think you're gonna have 20 bulbs and you're gonna have 60. But uh, share with your friends. It's a neat plant. Around me. Yeah. <laughs> Very uh, good. Next- 
same area um have these um turks caps and they're still blooming and going so i'm gonna let them freeze off and kind of let those reeds sit up there and see if they're gonna come back or cut them back later on they're gonna come back from uh they're gonna come back from ground level um yeah. it's uh you know they your, your turks cap most winters doesn't even freeze back but uh i imagine this kind of cold that will freeze down but if anything inch or two of mulch over it uh it'll come back from ground level and it'll come back thicker and fuller than it's ever been okay a little fyi i was watching in cbs this morning mm-hmm. and of all things somebody figured out a way to harvest and i'm not trying to be ugly Human urine, and they're getting it, getting by and selling that stuff up around uh, Vermont, New Hampshire. Big time operation, and uh, <laughs> looks like you know. Uh, hey, on CBS, they they know everything. <laughs> well, it's yeah, it's a source of nitrogen, a source of urea, and could I I can't imagine that you could really turn much of a business into it, but. We had somebody in San Antonio for a while that was uh, going around in the military bases and picking up hair when they, you know, shaved down those uh, those new recruits uh, and, and making fertilizer out of it. So there's an entrepreneurial person out there looking for every opportunity. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure that I would be sharing uh, quite uh, quite everything uh, about my sources and things like that. But uh, again, mm-hmm. uh, it must be a slow news day. That's all I can say yeah um okay and hey it's good to see some real live people advertising uh freeze miser on uh, rfd tv there's this <laughs> one guy from san antonio and one guy from fort worth uh yeah wears a hat. yeah yeah <laughs> probably the dirt doctor we uh we both believe in them and they really do work so uh, everybody um, ought to be using them on their hydrants that's for sure I've got them. Okay, Mary's behind me. I'll leave you alone. Have a good day. You do the same, sir. Thank you. Mary and Katie and Michael, as a matter of fact. Mary's next. Good morning, Mary. Hi. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I tried to get everything water grilled good yesterday. I didn't finish it. I can still do that today, right, before... Um, long as it long as the temperature is above freezing, long as the foliage hasn't frozen. Once the foliage is frozen, then warm water on it, uh, you know, will will destroy it. But uh, I'm not sure what the temperature is out there right now. I suspect low 40s, and that should be fine for should be fine for watering. Yeah, I'm in your area. I'm in the burning area, so it's not quite yeah. that bad yet. <laughs> well, if it, if it's above freezing, you're okay. If it's below freezing, uh, no, be better not. Well, I, I guess uh, I will put it this way. If it's uh, below freezing, put the hose on the ground. Be sure you absolutely keep the the warmer water off of the vegetation, and you'll be okay. But uh, it means you can't use a sprinkler. It means you're probably out there doing it by hand or with a drip system or something like that. But so long as you keep the water off the foliage, yeah, then you could probably go down as low as 20, and you'd still be benefiting the plants without causing any problems. Okay. Yeah, this is from the water from our holding tanks. So uh-huh. it should be fine. And well, yeah, I, I'm not worried about the temperature of the water. I'm worried about the temperature of the leaves. And so um, you just want to keep the water 
on the ground, on the roots, off the foliage, and it doesn't make any difference whether it's well water or tank water or, you know, city water for that matter. It's just, just be sure you're not getting it on the foliage because what happens is once that foliage freezes, when the warmer water hits the frozen foliage, little cells just explode. Mm, okay. All right. Uh, and you said uh, I caught the tail end of the asparagus, give it a good haircut, and it, it's okay to stay out if I just put a layer of mulch over it? We're talking edible asparagus? Yeah. Yeah, and uh, do you have it in pots and containers, or is it in the ground? It's in pots. Okay. Yeah, I would I would cover it. I'd go ahead and cut it down and, and cover it, and it should be fine. In the ground, you don't have to do a thing. But raised up in pots where the pots can freeze solid all the way through, I think you'd be wise to cover those after you cut them back. Okay. And one more quick question. I let my Texas sage get a little leggy, mm-hmm. and I want it to be more bushy. Do you think I can give it a good haircut? I would do it just, I wouldn't do it now. You want to wait until the new th- growth is just about to start in the spring because it's important to leave those leaves on there uh, just to keep the transpiration going. But just as soon as the new buds start to swell, which is probably going to be mid-March, early April, that will be the time to cut your uh, to cut your Texas age back. And if I cut it, that'll... that'll the growth on the bottom portion because it's it's it will you know it will branch out just you know behind the point that you cut it because this concentrates the hormones and makes the little individual buds start to swell and grow and um uh that's you know as long as it gets light uh it will make it branch out at that point but if the top of the plant is really big and thick and there's no light going to be getting to the places you're cutting it back it's not going to thicken up a whole lot it will put on some new growth but uh, you're only going to get good thick growth where you've got good bright light okay and then also speaking of watering do you think i can give that a good water today absolutely yeah absolutely just once again keep the moisture off the foliage keep it on the ground on the root system and uh, do it as soon as you can (laughs) for your own sake as well as the plants yes yes i'm ready to go out very good bundle up go do it and i'll look forward to our next visit thank you bye bye thank you Thank you. Bye. All right. uh, I believe next up is Katie. Uh, Good morning, Katie. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I'm over in Konkin, Texas. Okay. And I have, just last week, we potted a whole bunch of hanging baskets with tulip and daffodil bulbs. Uh Uh-huh. And I was just wondering if we needed to either bring them in or maybe enclose them in a big trash bag kind of thing. I'm just worried about the bulbs um, going to mush in the 19-degree forecast. Well, I would very definitely protect them. Uh, Are these planted? Are these still loose bulbs? Um, They're they're planted in a a basket. Okay. A large, really large hanging basket. Ah, that's an unusual way, <laughs> an unusual way to grow them. But um, is the basket of a size that you could lift and set down on the ground and then cover? Um, probably. It's it's a heavy lift because we've already started one. Oh, I know. Them. 
Yeah, I, I know. And they, we, we get some of those 36 inch baskets that I know weigh a, you know, weigh a yeah. heck of a lot. Raised up in the air, it's going to be virtually impossible to keep it from freezing. Um, if you could get it down to ground level and cover it that way, then, uh, that would almost certainly protect it. And just the warmth of the ground. The ground here doesn't ever freeze. The ground stays relatively warm. You get that basket down on the ground and then put, then cover it. Uh, it's almost, you know, certainly going to be fine, but uh, raised up in the ground, I, I raised up in the air, I really would be surprised if you'd be able to keep those from freezing. And they will, those bulbs will die in that kind of a freeze condition. They could uh, recognize it planted in the ground. Uh, these bulbs grow all the way up to Michigan. But when you raise right. them up out of the ground and they can freeze solid all the way through, yeah, I'm afraid you're not going to have a whole lot left. Got it. Okay. Well, once I take them off, I can actually put them in the garage. So, so I think that's going to be my plan. I think that that would be a good plan. <laughs> and uh, let me know how it works out. I Like I say, I, unless they're a real dwarf variety, I don't know that I've ever known anyone growing daffodils in baskets. I'd love to see a picture this spring when they come into bloom. We'll do, for sure. We've got them all over the place. Very good. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And I guess we'll probably finish the show up today with Michael. Good morning, Michael. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Good morning. Real quick, I know you're you're getting close to getting up with uh, Dr. Kirby. So I've got a, a rosebush and an oleander that's in an area where I want to see about putting a a driveway, not not a full driveway, but a two wheel path where I can park uh, something in that area. And I want to see about um, relocating that rosebush. It's uh, I'm going to call it a climber. It's something that uh, I think we got from a, a cutting from my aunt years ago. It's uh-huh. got some real stringy uh, branches on it, about eight to ten feet long. Okay. And they have little small roses when it does get rose, roses on it. it what, what am color? I able to dig that thing up and try to relocate it? You can, and I'll tell you how. First of all, tell me what color the roses are when they bloom. I want to say they're dark red. Huh, okay. Uh, yeah, that that pretty wide range of things it could be. The thing about roses is you can never, ever allow the root system to dry out. And so if you want to move that, you should be very successful. I'm going to give you like a 100% success rate if you do it right. But have your new hole dug and um, then probably go ahead and cut the bush back by about two-thirds. Uh, if it's six, eight feet tall now, cut it back to where it's a couple of feet tall. Dig it, get as much of the, you know, if you can get some soil around the roots when you move it, uh, do if it's if you're in real loose soil or whatever, just uh, bare root it. But the important thing is get it back in the ground and get it watered in very, very quickly. I would put a little Super Thrive or a little Garret Juice in the water that you use to water it in. But uh, the important thing is, you know, don't dig it out and leave it lying there for a while while you get the new hole dug. It needs to come out of that spot, back in the ground, be watered in, and uh, I, I, you've got almost a 100% chance that it's going to do well for you. Okay, and then you tell me to cut it back. How far, if it's got like eight or ten feet worth of branch right now, cut it about I, half. Is that cut, what you cut said? Cut it about no, cut it about two thirds. 
Okay. Roses can be pruned heavily. Uh, if it is a climber, you're going to sacrifice most all the blooms this spring. But uh, if yeah. it's a bush rose, it'll come back out and give you flowers this spring. But climbers bloom on last year's wood. Uh, bush roses bloom on this year's wood. So, uh, But if you're going to have to move it, um, I think that cutting it back will give you a much better chance of doing it successfully. Okay, now, and, and I asked you before, uh, Epsom salt is good for those. When's, when's a good time to do that? And I know I can any, do the organic anytime. fertilizer anytime, right? Yeah, and you can do the Epsom salts anytime, and you have a choice. You can either just sprinkle a handful of Epsom salts out there every couple of months or a couple of hands full, or if you want to dissolve it in water, the rate's two tablespoons to a gallon of water. Two tablespoons. And if I were doing that, ah, you could do it every two or three months. Certainly don't need to do it every day. And I'm going to let you go because we are right at the end of the show. We can talk again sometime soon. And uh, Dr. Turby will be in here very shortly, and we'll be talking your pet's health here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas.